Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today, it's episode 200! Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I'm very proud of us getting to episode 200 because it was just like us to not get here. It <laughs> to, like, abandon this project. Yeah, no. Like, like every other one. I think we've only missed, like, one week so far. And I and that was, like, episode, like, one... Like, in the mid-100s, right? I was so terrified that once we skipped one, we were just going to start skipping all of them. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, we're here to answer your questions um, about really anything. We've collected questions across time and space um, from a variety of different people. uh, And uh, we're going to answer them to the best of our ability. Um, First off... We're going to go with, uh, with Monik, because Monik is, in fact, our patron at patreon.com slash games, And so he gets to be at the front of the line. If you would like to Congratulations, Monik. <laughs> this is what your, whatever, five bucks. The five like, bucks. You know, bought he's, you. <laughs> he single-handedly increased our donations by 500%, because before that, it was $1 from me. So <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So if you at home would like to come to the front of the line... Uh, for questions, the next time we do this, uh, if we get enough money, we'll do it sooner than episode 300. Um, but if you'd like to be at the front of the line for the next uh, set of questions, you should uh, subscribe to us to a Patreon. Um, so starting off, uh, the first question is, uh, when are we going to start a gaming company? Buddy, when are we going to start a gaming company? <laughs> That's a good question. I, we've well, So we went pretty deep on a campaign setting not too long ago uh, called... Rysera, and you called it Rizarun. Maybe that was the the fact that we couldn't even agree on a phonetic pronunciation of the campaign setting. <laughs> but, but, but that was that was supposed to be part of the world, right? Like that, that all the <laughs> yeah, different races sure, said it sure. differently, which I thought was a neat idea, at least. I do think that that was a neat detail. Um, yeah, it's actually something that's always been like on the back of my mind as a like you know like as a, as a as a coordinated project. A bunch of us get together and we and we harness some of this good distilled knowledge that has been in the last 200 episodes and actually make something out of it. Um, but the process to getting there is pretty tough. It turns out, uh, a lot of people want to make, a lot of people want to make games. And so doing so is, uh, is not the easiest. It's also an investment of a lot of time and effort. And, uh, frankly, uh, when I come home from work, I want to play games, not code more. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, well, so here's the question: If we were to make a gaming company, would you want to make a tabletop like like Ricerin, or would you want to do something like you know an indie project or something like that? Uh, kind of either one, right? Like, so I, I think th- there's a couple things here. I think one, the most likely way that this ever comes to fruition is doing like third party supplements for Pathfinder or something, um, and you know maybe that's like a thing we might do at some point in the relative future, because we've kind of got a fresh start with Pathfinder 2E. Um, no promises or anything, but it's, it's a thing that's been floating around in my head for a little while. Um, uh, but another thing uh, I, I would want to do is, um, I think I've talked about this before, but I think that kind of the marriage of tabletop and video games has been imperfect thus far, and I think there's a space for that, and I think that'd be a really cool project to tackle. Um, and that would kind of hit both worlds. And the idea like, that... Like Hearthstone bringing, like, the the physical card game digital, you'd want to make whatever. Yeah, Trailblazer right. Blazer, the, the, that is Pathfinder brought digital. 
Right, but it, it, it would it would want to be a different system, right? Like the what, sure, some, fine, some, yeah, some, yeah, something sure. that Hearthstone does, right? Is um, it does things that are impossible in paper, right? Like like the, we talk about these discover mechanics, you can't do that with paper. You have to do it in a computerized system. Similarly, like at the core of it, my idea would be something like you have the ability to make combat more complex and tactical because the machine's handling all the calculations for you, but you still get the richness of kind of story and freeform investigation uh, from the player or from the, from the players and from the GM. And that's, I think a tough thing to kind of balance. Um, And I've got a thousand ideas around this and a lot of them involve fairly intensive things like having an open scripting engine. That way you can custom write in your own rules if you want. Um, But I don't know if that would ever come to pass. And also I don't know if, uh, I've got the time or the effort to put into something like that. I was like thinking that. just very basic stuff like, you know, people all connect in with, like, a video call, but you have, like, Snapchat filters for their characters. Like, I could make them a little, like, wizard hat oh. and put it in, like, basket to my... I'm just... That's dumb. No, but, no, uh... but you know what? So, that's, so that, that's silly, but it's not the worst, right? Like, streamers do that, yeah. right? Like Yeah, no, for sure. Right? Like, if, if, you could do, if you could do, like, a really customizable face tracking thing... Man, that that's an idea. But anyway, um, I've got a couple ideas in that space. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> I have not. I am not in a place to like put together a pitch and pitch to investors about that or anything. So um, the answer, Monic, is if you want to pay for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Bankroll us, Monic. Yeah, we we deserve we deserve it. We have all the expertise you need, definitely for sure. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> um, or if anybody else out there wants to bankroll it, you know, if, if you know Peter Thiel, if you listen to this podcast, I don't know that he doesn't. <laughs> Give us some money, boy. I sure hate Gawker. Anyways. Uh- <laughs> uh- our, our, uh, our next question from Monik is, uh, who is your favorite champion in League of Legends and why? Um, uh, you, want, you want to take this one first? Yeah, buddy? I mean, this one's a really easy one because it's so obvious. My favorite League of Legends champion is and has, for as long as he has been out, been Yasuo. Um, even coming back to the game and seeing some of the new champions. Some of the new champions who I like quite a bit, by the way. Um, there is no one who has quite the same, you know... Zhuzh that, that, that Yasuo brings into any team cop. He kind of has this perfect marriage of, like, his narrative is really interesting because, like, you know, first of all, he's the samurai and he has all that, like, samurai aesthetic stuff going on, right? Um, but, like, he's the, he is, like, that kind of ronin archetype, you know, like, Kazeru Roni sort of, uh, sort of thing. Um, and then he also, um... And then he also really reflects that kind of, like, samurai gameplay in the fantasy of playing him, right? Like, this is something that the champion designer, certainly T, had talked about in designing Yasuo. He wanted to make his three basic abilities be the kind of fundaments of, like, what you expect a samurai fight to look like, which is strike, parry, and dash, or, like, dodge, right? Um, which is kind of where they ended up. I mean, there's a certain amount to be said that Windwall isn't much of a parry or whatever. Um, but I think in the same sort of, you know, in the same sort of way that, like, parrying a lethal 
blasts or something and like blocking uh you know whatever like a jinx salt that would kill you like there's a lot of there's a lot of that stuff but the thing that that, that defines yasuo so much so much as like a perfect champion for me is that like he has all of that kind of outplay potential and the ability to like really feel like a god <laughs> walking around in League of Legends, like, friend of the cast, Prosh, who got me into League of Legends in the first place, once said that there is nothing more fun in League of Legends than playing a fed vein. And I, I, would, I would say that Prosh's theorem for 2011 was probably true at that time. There was really nothing more fun at that point in time uh, than playing a fed vein. But at these, but like, you know, in this day and age, playing a fed Yasuo is probably the most fun I can think of when it comes to actually playing the game of uh of league of legends and um and that's probably part of why he is my favorite champion right like all of those things marry together he has this great narrative archetype that i love he has this game design that fits into his lore in a way that i feel like is almost unique among a lot of the different champions um and then the actual second to second of playing yasuo fulfills that right like that desire to feel awesome and competent at the game uh so yeah that's my favorite that's my favorite league of legends champion yasuo the 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 wind wanderer or something i don't remember fucking <laughs> the unforgiven i think is his like tag yeah line. <laughs> something like that um but yeah makes total sense he's he's a very high skill champion has a lot of like individualized expression within him um my answer is gonna be First person going to be kind of a dodge is part of why I like League of Legends is the ability to kind of just switch between random things game to game. Um, I get like when when we before the break when we were going hard on like ranked we were playing the same things over and over and over again. I would get tired very quickly. I do like being able to switch it up. Um, but if I had to choose one, it would probably be Nautilus. Still, um, wow. And I think the answer, and I think specifically this is because I tend to play Nautilus mid, and so he fills that kind of desire I have to kind of play something that's a little bit off meta and still be successful with it. And I can't, I am fairly successful with mid Nautilus. Um, and, uh, you know, hitting hooks feels really good. And uh, the hitbox on Nautilus's anchor is like a mile wide, so it makes it really easy to hit hooks. Um, so. I just, I just, I just have a blast every time I play Nautilus, uh, and uh, I so I so if if I had to choose one, I think I'd, I'd, I'd choose Nautilus. But uh, fair enough, um, that makes uh, it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I mean, part of this too is he's also got like strong theming that I like. Like I've got like a skin, maybe two for Nautilus, but I don't ever use them because I just love the kind of deep sea mariner um, theming on him. Um, you know, everything just works for me. So. No, I actually, that is one of the kind of, like, thematic archetypes, that Nautilus archetype. Pike also, I guess, kind of has this, like, the, the sort of, like, drowned man archetype that I think is just, like, oddly, like, insanely compelling. Um, and so, I very much get that. I, I very much understand the uh, the attraction to Nautilus. Um, yeah. yeah. So, those are our favorite champions in League of Legends. The next question is a little bit specific to you, Mango. Uh, the, it is, since your last question cast, we've, Mango and Monik, have shared a handful of psychedelics experiences together. There's multi-part to this one. Um, what has stayed with you from these experiences? Anything specifically positive or negative? Yeah. So, um, so the first thing I'm going to talk about here is just kind of like, 
the thing that was most surprising to me about it is is if you watch popular media, there's a there's a, a kind of way that being uh, high on psychedelics is portrayed, um, kind of like swirly colors and like uh, and you know weird moving things. And the thing that was most surprising to me is that it's like incredibly accurate. Um, like it is it is so accurate that I that I that I was kind of shocked. I thought it was like oh this is going to be like something. Uh, a little bit more, but it's, no, it's, it's very much like that. Um, it kind of does skew with your perception. Um, kind of one of the, the most, the, the singular, I don't know if I want to call it positive, but it was very interesting is um, we were looking at a lake and you know how like there are those, those little ripples on the lake and the light can like play off of them. Um, basically I was looking at it and like my perspective didn't, like change it wasn't anything impossible. It's something that I, I you know, I, I guess if I was thinking about it, I could do on my own manually. But my perspective kind of shifted, and instead of those dots, those those reflections being dots on top of little waves, they were like pixels on a screen. And it, it works like that because you know as the waves move forward, they get kind of darker. But if you instead of looking at them as individual waves, you look at them as kind of like a collective. You can kind of see. Uh, uh, an image, and it wasn't anything in particular. In fact, it kind of looked like the lake was breathing, which I thought was really neat. Um, but it was kind of a very forest for the trees type moment, right? Like once I stu- st- stood back and saw the bigger picture, um, I could see something that I, that was previously hidden to me, which I found kind of very interesting. Um, it also has a propensity to make you like think that everything is very deep and profound. And sometimes I think that's accurate, and sometimes I think it's just kind of like the way it works. Like, you know... I know, I know that you, you typically don't get into this stuff, buddy, but I feel like you would actually enjoy this experience a lot um, if you ever decided to to, to engage. Um, but uh, it it makes it makes things feel um, it makes things feel deep and uh, and yeah. Um, and uh, in terms of positive experiences, um, the experiences have all been positive for me. I have I haven't had a, a bad experience, uh, but. Um, uh, in terms of positive experience, just kind of like spending the time with 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 my friends um, was 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 a positive experience um, on in, in its own right. Um, was it enhanced by the the psychedelics? Maybe I, I couldn't really. I I don't know if if I could say. I'm kind of afraid of this question because I think uh, among people our age, there's just kind of like it's kind of hard to go out and do something that doesn't involve drinking. Um, or, or some other type of experience, not, you know, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hesitant to encourage that, especially because we, our stock and trade is in things that let us get around that, right? Like, yeah. instead of, instead of going out to a bar on Friday night, I can stay in and play video games with you guys or, or play a tabletop game with people. Um, mm-hmm. and that allows us to kind of escape that trap. Um, uh, but it, it definitely, the, the experiences I've had have definitely been positive. Um, uh, have the have the trips influenced your approach to gaming and uh, or just like thinking about game design at all? Um, so, I it's funny. I, I don't. I can't really say that they they have. Um, unfortunately, like I'd, I'd like to think that like I think I think it has made me a little bit more self introspective. Um, like I recently started writing a journal, and I can't say for certain it's because of these uh, experiences, mm. but. Um, uh, I think it's 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 tied to that a little bit, and uh, insofar as it has shifted some of my perceptions of the world around me, uh, maybe it has, but nothing specifically. Has uh, it uh, has it influenced your perception of your friendships? Um, 
So th- this is again kind of going back to that that uh, that that piece that I was uh, talking about about like getting trapped with the alcohol trap. Um, yes, but I'm not convinced that the 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 psychedelics were necessary for that to happen. Um, like, you know, part of part of the ritual of, of the psychedelic experience is sitting around and talking about things, right? Like this, you know, gets mm-hmm. that part of the effect is it makes everything feel very profound. Um, and so part of that, like, you know. Because because everything's very welcoming and everybody's kind of in tune, um, I think it makes people more open, and that has definitely um, let me feel like shifted my perspective on uh, my on my friendships with with the guys I've, I've I did it with, um, with people outside of that like like has did that like make me think about somebody else in a different way. I can't say it particularly has, uh, and like I said, if some other situation had come about that we were similarly open with each other, right? Like, you know, if we all, like, went to, like, the Himalayas and uh, meditated with the monks for a month and we all felt similarly open around each other, like, mm-hmm. I think I could have gotten to the same place. But uh, 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 in that in that way, it has. And then the last yeah, question... Yeah, I, I definitely oh. feel that. I definitely understand uh, that desire. Um, and the, the last question Monica has about this is, uh, buddy, would you want to trip with us? Feel free to, to, to give no answer if, if you don't want to. I apologize, Monica, but, uh, I'm afraid not. Uh, I am straight edge. I don't drink. I don't, uh, smoke or anything along those lines. So I probably would say, I feel like if I were to sort of break that, uh, it would be in a situation like this. Like, like, you know, I think, I think part of this is, um. That is very much up my alley, right? Like, I get really frustrated. This will sometimes happen, right, where my friends would be like, hey, come hang out with us, right? And then we end up going to a bar, and it's loud, and everybody's drinking, and nobody's really, like, I get infuriated in those kinds of situations. Because the point of hanging out with my friends is to talk with them, right? And is to, you know, not like... I, there's just, there isn't anything for, and maybe this is just because, you know, like, obviously I don't imbibe, but, uh, there just, like, isn't anything for me in a room of loud strangers where we can't hear one another, right? So I'm, like, I'm always a lot more interested in, right, like, finding a place where we can lounge and talk about whatever it is, um than I am in in something along those kinds of lines. And so the way that you are describing trips where people are talking about, like, profound experiences in that way, like, that is really enticing. But the thing is, though, is that I've, I've never had a hard time being open about, like, myself or my, like, emotional state. This is a weird thing that I think I learned just by, um, I don't know, just by weird osmosis uh but like the best way to create friendships right like deep lasting friendships is to express vulnerability right when i can have a conversation with someone and express my fears or insecurities right that is something that's endearing and so uh, I've never had a hard time doing those things because I almost always find that vulnerability to be rewarded. Whereas I feel like a lot of other people find that vulnerability to be, you know, like that's that's a really tough wall to climb or like hurdle to get over, right? Like the idea that we would, you know, the idea that we would talk about something that is tough or hard to to kind of like parse is uh, is a tough thing for a lot of people, and that's never been a hard thing for me. And so I do get a real sense, you know, I have a, I have a lot of friends who I think um, use 
any variety, you know, marijuana, alcohol, uh, psychedelics, as the as that way to get across that wall. Um, and I think that that's actually a really good thing, to be honest with you, which is probably not like I like you know like people expect me to say the opposite, uh, but I know I think it's great to be honest, and um, and so. Yeah, you know, no. I feel I, like those are the those are like the two component parts of of that mindset. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I will say that I think a thing that you will appreciate is there is kind of like uh, a, a kind of difference in media consumption that I think you'd appreciate if only from an academic perspective. Just kind of. How oh that, yeah, fair enough. Um, like I actually really like hanging out with people when they are high and or tipsy or whatever, right? Um, just because the you know them opening up is is always nice to you know be around uh with with for me so that is that is you know i don't know i try i try not to be judgmental about these things because uh, i used to be and it was really awful and i was a huge dick about it which was just like not productive for anyone um fair enough um yeah i, I will say for the people at home if you remember back in like january when i talked about watching speed racer um, I watched that while on one of these experiences, and that was, that was <laughs> <Yeah>. part of that. <laughs> um, oh, boy. Um, this next uh, question is very uh, well, interesting. Before we move on, since that was a lot oh, about okay. me, do, do you, do you want to talk a little bit about why you're straight edge? Or if, if you don't want to, we don't have to keep it's going. It's actually not a uh, – my, my family has a really big history of alcoholism, um, which is something that was identified to me at a pretty young age uh, by my dad, actually. Not on his side of the family, but, like, he was the kind of person that was like, listen, right, you know, this is something that runs in the family, and it's, like, a real danger. I was, like, 11 or something, right? And it's, like, a real danger because, like, when you start drinking at very young ages, the likelihood that you become an alcoholic, especially when you have kind of, like, the genetic predeterminators for it, um, that can be, like, a really rough thing, and so... You should be well-informed. Um, and so I was. Uh, and then I eventually kind of made the decision to myself. Maybe when I was like 12 or something. I kind of like made the decision to myself. I was like, you know what? This is not for me. This is not something that I'm going to engage in. And at a certain point uh, for like the next couple of years in, in like high school, I had a lot of friction about this kind of stuff. Um, because I did view it really like negatively and as, like, this kind of, like, toxic influence. And so my friends would go get drunk and I would get really angry at them and stuff like that. Uh, but to be honest, that was mostly my own kind of, like, weird insecurities about that familial alcoholism, right? Like, I was kind of reflecting back the negative experiences I had been having with my family onto my friends. Because I had seen the way it it hurt me in from one direction and so i just assumed in, essentially that it would hurt me from the other direction um and then maybe when i was like a senior in high school i just kind of got over that i was like this is bad this is not healthy and not like real um and then college i like college maybe freshman year in college was really the first time where i was kind of like well listen if you've gotten rid of this stigma in your own head about it and you don't think that it's a negative thing and you like hanging out with people when they go drinking all of the time why don't you just drink right um and the answer to that question kind of became that i really liked the idea that i don't break my promise to myself in a way like 
even if the I, even if the the promise is effectively smoke or mist or whatever, like I'm sure I could be responsible and and all these other kinds of things. Just the idea that like yes, when I was 12 years old, I made a promise to myself and I've kept that promise ever since. It's like a weird point of pride that I haven't given up. So that is really what it comes down to, to be honest. No, that 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 makes a lot of sense. Um, thank you for sharing, buddy. I'm sure the you audience appreciates it. Uh, well, the next question uh, is, uh, like you were saying, it's a little bit provocative, but it's, uh, what are you wearing right now? Are you excited for this, Mango? I am in a Thor, I'm in a gray graphic tee that's very faded of Thor with a big giant stain on it, I guess. I don't know where that came from. Maybe it came from something I ate earlier. And, uh, and boxers, because it's really fucking hot in Los Angeles. <laughs> and uh, I took my pants off. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I'm wearing, Monic. You're welcome. You're welcome for that one, big guy. <laughs> what are you What are you wearing, Mango? Similarly, it is warm in New Hampshire, uh, so I am wearing a uh, uh, what is colloquially known as a wife beater and a pair of athletic shorts. Uh, the, only, <laughs> the The only thing I can really say about this is uh, I'm I am slowly turning into my father. I recently started like I, I never used to wear undershirts. Um, mm. And now I wear these, these, these uh, I think they're called ATs, uh, technically. Um, uh, 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 and uh, I started wearing them because uh, when I wear a belt, I'm, I'm a bigger man. So the belt mm. can kind of uh, abraze my stomach. So if I wear the shirt, it doesn't hurt at all. And it's also, it's also not, it's nice to be able to come home, take off whatever I'm wearing, and just kind of like be uh, kind of uh, uh, you know, a fat slob in my apartment. Um, I also recently discovered that the name that I had grown up calling them, which are guinea teas, is in fact an ethnic slur against Italians. Um, and I am Italian. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Wow! Holy shit! Yeah. Um, and yeah. I, so, as 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 a <laughs> as a guinea, you know, I, I think I'm allowed to say that. But... Holy uh, shit! That's crazy. Yep. Yep. I've never heard them by that by that term. I've always heard the term wife beater, which yeah. I also really don't like and don't understand to be honest, but I, I think I think it's I think it's like a, it's tied to the to the, the Italian stereotype maybe. Um, wow, that's very gross. Yeah. Well, the more you know, kids. Yep. <laughs> um, oh god. Uh the next question uh which should be illuminating is uh facts or feelings. I reject your <laughs> hypothesis. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just. Did you know what that's a reference to? Uh, uh, no, Quentin I don't. Tarantino. Think... A couple of days. This is this is meme culture for you guys. A couple of days ago, when promoting Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino. Not a couple of days ago, but like it went viral recently. Uh, Quentin Tarantino got a got a question from somebody in the audience about something, and he just answered by yelling into the microphone, I reject your hypothesis! <laughs> <laughs> Which became, uh, like, a small-scale kind of, like, film Twitter meme, I guess. Um, Makes sense. Though I also do reject this fucking garbage, awful hypothesis. No, I'm kidding. Um, what, what are you, what, facts, facts or feelings, Mango? Um, so, uh, I, I might surprise you with this, but I, I think that, uh, the domains for each of these are separate. Um, I would say that I think that sometimes people are, are want to to use their feelings when they should be using facts, but it, it doesn't mean that feelings are invalid. Uh, it's probably the most concise. Yeah, I, the reason I said I reject your hypothesis is because uh, I typically find this sort of like 
binary thing. Like, this is functionally incorrect. Um, and I mostly think that it is kind of uh, like a like a posturing. I mean, for basically the entirety of human history, there has been this idea that uh, that kind of emotionlessness, right? Like stoic emotionlessness is, yeah, is superior to, right, um, uh, any kinds of outward displays of emotion. This is for, for a long time. This is part of why uh, women were kind of sexistly put down and kept in specific subservient roles because they were seen to be more emotional and therefore less able to like make calm good rational feelings but the but the point is is that like there really isn't such a thing as emotionlessness or emotionality they're all mixed together in a big psychic margarita in our brains right um and so the line between kind of emotionality and stoicism is so much harder to draw that it is functionally like a meaningless distinction right like so for instance something that you'll commonly hear like this is something that you'll hear um when people talk about like angry protesters right like the idea of like an angry protester who's like screaming at someone right and someone might say to that protester well if they were just calm and could explain their point of view to me maybe i would be willing to listen right and the response to that kind of thing is anger is a rational response to injustice and it's because like the term like the the rationality of i am being persecuted therefore I am feeling the emotion of anger, kind of, it really blurs that line, right? Like, it's not like the person is reacting without reason. They are definitionally acting with reason, right? But it's not the reason that we think of when we think of the term reason. Do you know what I mean? So, I, I, yeah, I know what I'm, you mean. I, I, I think I'd push back on that a little bit. I think there are, there are ways that you can react, like, you know, what's, what's, what's a, 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 a way to put this? Right or a good example. There are things that like uh, that like this is usually in in terms of kind of like the uh, what's it called the the anecdotes are not statistics kind of fashion where like a particular negative experience that you experience isn't necessarily representative and so um, I think there's a lot of conflation that happens there and so I, I do think that there are times when you need to set aside your emotions on a particular topic because the facts tell a different story than your personal experiences. But it doesn't mean that your personal feelings are invalid. It just maybe means that um, kind of the solution you're arriving at isn't based in something that's going to be necessarily be maximally effective. Right. Like well, so re really what I'm attacking is this idea that like reason, it's almost this idea that like reason is um, like a, like a, a, an inertial vector that gets gunked up by emotions, right? You have that core of reason and it is pointing you in a direction, but then it gets like knocked off kilter because of like anger or whatever. And that's just not how, like, that's just not how any of this works. Right? Like, I, th I think, the, I think the, that's fair. <coughs> the, 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 the symbiotic nature between our kind of intellectual faculties and our emotions is something that is, done a disservice by framings like facts don't care about your feelings kind of kind of um and in a lot of times i feel like those those kinds of framings are themselves built to be appeals to feelings whatever that's the point yeah uh 
Uh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Good. Good answer. <laughs> we, we, we nailed it. <laughs> this is a, this is a really interesting. Next question: Would you beta test Neuralink? Uh, for those of you that don't know, I believe Neuralink is Elon Musk's company that is working on a brain computer interface. Yeah. Um. So. Essentially, for me, it depends what you mean by beta test. If by beta test you mean like what most video games mean by beta test nowadays, I'd say probably. Um, if you mean like, you know, like actual kind of beta, probably not. Um, <laughs> uh, what, what about you, buddy? I feel like in a heartbeat, man. I like... I, I say that very off the cuff. The real answer is I would probably have to think about it way more in depth than I am. But just, like, the idea, you know, like, the singularity, right? Um, and uh, and the idea that I could turn my thoughts into a computer code or whatever. Like, this is very cutting-edge stuff that is on, like, the forefront of, you know, human... I don't even know what, what I would call it, right? Like, the, it is the human scientific frontier, right? Um, and I'm a big believer that knowledge is good and ignorance is evil and doing your minuscule part to thrust knowledge forward in the world is a good thing. And so I absolutely would want to be a part of that. Yeah, so so in, in, in those terms, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. Um, if... I had a reasonable, if you know, if there was a fairly high chance of success of migrating a brain to my to a, to a computer, I would absolutely take that. Um, yeah, I wonder what is the success rate. Like, let's imagine that the scientist sits you down and he says the chance that this works unimpeded is X percent, right? Like, what is the threshold that I would be willing to say yes to that? Yeah, and, and for me, it like, also depends. It, part of this is like it's beta test, right? So, like, if the answer yeah. is in ten years it's going to go up by like thirty percent, then you know I'll wait the ten years. But if like if if you sat me down and said this is the only chance you will ever have to transfer your brain to a computer and there is an X percent chance, um, I actually think I'd go pretty low on that. Um, really? Yeah, I think I like I'd still probably have to hit fifty, but like even around fifty, I think I'd be willing to do it just because um, I don't know. It's like it's a chance. Like, it's, it's I was a, I was sitting here like thirty percent is good, right? Three out of seven. I'd roll those dice. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, well it, I think it, it also depends on what the consequences are, right? Like, if you yeah, die, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Like, like if it if it just doesn't work, I'll do it at one percent, right? Like, sure. Yeah. Um, uh, but if it I, leaves you like you know a, right. a rotting vegetable. Obviously, yeah. that is a much higher consequence to pay for those kinds of things. Yeah, that is that is a that is a. A really tough one to uh, a tough one to answer. I also like have a certain amount of like cyberpunk fears of like the transhuman age. Like I would also be a little bit wary of like, well, maybe this is a process I can only do once, and I wouldn't want to like transfer my brain chip with like the beta stuff because I know that it's going to get faster and better, right? And twenty years from now, everybody's going to have better brain chips than me. And even though it's cool that I was a beta tester, right? Like I'm fucking useless compared to all these brain chip running rounders um so there's definitely a lot to consider about that kind of decision but yeah you know ballpark fuck yeah i do that dude <laughs> yeah um this is actually this is a thought that i this is like a shower thought that i've had for a number of years which is essentially like if this ever becomes commonplace you'll be able to tell them who the real nerds are because they'll have wired connections to the internet um because they'll have faster connection speeds everybody else mm -hmm. just have like the wireless chip um, yeah this is the thing oh. that 
this is a thing that you know I, that occurred to me as uh, I was because because you know we're at the if this ever happens there's no need for us to ever go through the wired version in the first place right right um uh so you know I think I think that'll be a cool feature so but part part of this is is I don't want to die ever if I can avoid it um and so if if putting my brain in a computer accomplishes that I'm 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 all for it um cool. Yeah. Okay, well, the next question is, if you had a role to play in the creation of any video game, which video game would it be, and why? What role would you want to play in the game dev process of that game? I, I, I take it to mean that this is just like a, an existing video game, maybe? Uh, maybe. I wonder, would you insert yourself into a video game in the past just to be part of, like, the glory days, right? Like, for, like, the creation of Super Mario Bros. 3, would you put yourself in the room? Um... No, because I feel like I feel like a lot of the Mario games are kind of like the visions of Shigeru Miyamoto, right? Like mm. similarly, I wouldn't want to be part of Metal Gear Solid unless I was Hideo Kojima, and I feel like that's kind of robbing history of Hideo Kojima. So I wouldn't want to do that. But I, the spirit of this question, at least to my mind, is, is if I could jump into a game that exists and maybe tweak it to my vision a little bit more, uh, what would that be? Um, and I don't know if I have a great answer for that. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. Uh, I think, I think maybe I'd, I'd have to pick something that's kind of like live servicey because I think that there's like places that you can that you can see where things work and don't work and, and maybe tweak them. Uh, do, do you have any thoughts? I kind of have two answers in a way, kind of like on the optimistic and pessimistic scales. Like if one of the if if the question is what cool game that you like a lot would you want to be part of the process of? I think the answer for me would be World of Warcraft, right? Like I would want to be one of the I would want to be not necessarily like the Kritz Metzen, um, but like the, the one of the people who is like plotting out the future of this franchise in like real discernible terms um like the idea that like we walk into a room and it's like okay what's our next expansion gonna be right like i'd want to be in that room and that would be very cool and very interesting um probably from you know to answer specific what role probably from a narrative role standpoint um specifically because i you know uh i do think that that writers get shit on in games which is you know to be expected to a certain extent they get a shit on a lot in a lot of uh media but um they they have very like tied hands when it comes to uh games just because like almost all of those things are gameplay first and what features are you adding and and like the companies are treated a lot like these kinds of tech companies rather than like art companies in a way um and so i feel like there is a space for like a high level sort of like narrative lead kind of person that really does a lot of work to reconcile some of the um some of the questions surrounding right like what what features are we adding to the game? How are we going to explain that? All that stuff kind of in the lore. I think that those would be, like, fun challenges. From the pessimistic angle, right? From the angle of, like, w- if you could tweak a game pr- prior to its release or during its function, I think the answer would be Anthem. Uh, specifically because I like that game a lot, and I see a lot of potential in that game. And I feel like there's got to be something in there that I would want to, like, get in, you know, nuts and bolts, pull out my ratchet, and try and, like fix it right you know what i mean like i'd want to uh um i'd want to just try and help deliver that experience in a way that uh 
that people don't fucking like get super worked up about and like immediately swear off the game for all time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. Um, thinking about like, this, this is kind of a joke answer, but like, I'd like to be on Borderlands 3 and be Randy Pitchford. That way I could never download child porn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, but like, in kind of the, like, it, it, it's a little bit serious in that, like, I, there are a lot of these looter shooters that I really enjoy, but the, none of them have the exact kind of combination of things that I want, right? Like, Destiny 2 has the gunplay, but Borderlands tends to have, like, the loot that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, the narrative on, on, on the uh, Bungie side is really good, too. Um, and so I, I want to kind of marry some of these concepts together. Um, yeah. Oh, no, I feel that. Yeah. I feel like you could really, like... Imagine something that has kind of like the like the RPG powers, right, of like Anthem with the gunplay in Destiny and the loot model in Borderlands. I think that would be yeah. a really fun, awesome game. Absolutely. Um and like kind of my my desire kind of place and that would be like um like a a gameplay systems designer. I don't know if that's like the right term, but like um kind of like looking at the gameplay systems from like a, a kind of a macro level and how they work out and how they like you know how they roughly should fit together uh, is the thing that's really intriguing to me. Um, mm. I am I, I am right now a, co- a coder, uh, but I would not want to do that um, for a game just because uh, I don't know I like I find the the work satisfying, but that's not like kind of I'm not I'm not. You know, funny enough, I you know I'm a community guy and uh, I actually feel like I would want to do community for. A few. Ga- I think some games could be fixed by a strong community manager. Like, I sort of think that maybe with, like, Mass Effect Andromeda... I'm trying to think of, like, games that sort of misfired publicly, but I think were pretty solid. And I feel like Mass Effect Andromeda is a really good example of that. Like, I bet a good community manager may have been able to, like, turn that around. Um, I actually feel like I would want to be a community manager for, like, a lot of different, you know, games. I would love to do it for WoW. I'd love to do it for Hearthstone. Basically, any of the big games that I play, right? Um, even some of the smaller ones, like, I would love to do be, like, the community manager on the Total War series, just because I love that community, and I feel like it would be just, like, a lot of fun to be the person posting, right, like, the next gameplay trailer or something along those lines. Yeah, no, that that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, next question is, what character in a video game do you most closely identify with? I'm gonna step in here and veto like my OC from MMO that I play. Um, I think that's too easy. Um, but do you, ha- do you have an answer for this? See, I actually feel like my OC from MMO, it would be a really good answer for me for this. I think it's probably the best answer that I have. I'm um, sure, but I, I feel like that's true for anybody, right? Like, well, it's a little bit different. I think, uh, not to put on like my, my hoity toity pants, but I think it's a little bit different for, role players because like there's a real story there in a way like this is a character that i've specifically kind of like crafted in a way that uh that like you know my oc for skyrim is less crafted than that um just because like all of the stories i am in definitionally are stories that the game provides for me if that makes sense um so I i wonder a little bit if it's cheating but if it's not cheating then the answer is probably uh, then the answer is probably Baron. Um, all of my different characters, the big ones that have been featured in various, you know, spots here and there, right? Like Tonric and Gondor. Um, but, uh, but I very much identify with Baron a lot because he has that core story about sort of responsibility 
that I find incredibly compelling. Um, and not even that I identify with it all that much, but just that I, it just is, it's super compelling and it feels like me in, in a way that I can't even vocalize if that makes sense. Right. Like the Baron's whole story is that, you know, he is a, he was the second son of a chieftain who was trained to be a warrior and left his village to go do that thing and then came back to find that, you know, his older brother had become effectively a tyrant. And so by killing his older brother, as a warrior would, he sort of puts himself in that role of leading a village, which he is immensely unprepared for. And he's constantly making mistakes along those kinds of ways. But there's a certain, like, you know, undaunting nature and, like, grim motivation to to Baron that I find very uh that I just like I find extremely compelling. So yeah, that's probably my own my own OC from World of Warcraft. What a cop out answer. <laughs> I, I mean fair enough. Fair enough. Um uh trying to avoid that answer um I'm thinking I'm gonna go with uh probably Dante from Devil May Cry. Um wow. Just because he's, like, super goofy and, uh, like, I really feel that. And then, like, occasionally you get it peeled back and he's, like, super serious. He's like, yeah, I have to go deal with my shithead brother. Um, uh, not that my brother is a shithead. Um, although I'm sure if you had asked me when I was, like, 15 if my brother was a shithead, I'd be like, he's the worst person. Um, but I kind of really appreciate those kind of brother dynamics. Um, and I kind of appreciate Dante's carefree attitude. So I'm going to go with Dante from Devil May Cry. Fair enough. For a real answer that's not my OC, it's probably Varian Rin, because Varian Rin's story is very similar to Baron's, and uh, he's also my favorite fucking, like, he's probably my favorite video game character, like, just of all time. So, that's just easy. Yep, fair enough. Um, uh, do you believe in aliens and or UFO phenomena? Oof, this is a really interesting one. Uh, I believe, yes, in aliens, no in UFO phenomenon. Um, What's the, what's like the, is it Fermi's Paradox or whatever? The guy yeah, Fermi's like, Paradox, yeah. Yeah, so I, I absolutely believe that there's also, there, there is life on other planets. Um, but the chance, I, I think the vast emptiness of space in the universe is going to prevent any meaningful interaction that any of us could ever have with extraterrestrials before the heat death of the universe. Um, this is just a function of the speed of light and like radio waves and all this other kind of stuff, right? I just... You know, I'm sure that in some galaxy, somewhere else, far, far, far away, there is probably life. Maybe not sentient life in the way that we exist, maybe in some other kinds of forms. I definitely think that, you know, some of the wilder sci-fi kind of this-is-how-life-would-work uh, ideas make plenty of sense. Um, but uh, I just think that we're all way too far apart from each other that we would never meaningfully interact. So UFO phenomena is fundamentally out doesn't yeah. doesn't apply so i i uh i agree with you in the kind of the broad strokes i i got i do agree that i think there's probably intelligent life somewhere else uh, or maybe not intelligent but there is life somewhere else it's possible that we're the first but um i think it's very probable that ufo sightings are not real um i think it's possible but not likely that there is there is some form of travel that will be discovered that can break the speed of light Oh really? Um, yeah, I mean it'll it'll have to be something like weird. It's it's physics that I'm not qualified to really talk about. Sure, sure. Um, sure. but 
I think that maybe at some point that'll happen. And so I think it's not impossible that um, eventually uh, kind of pe- people uh, it, or that, that different alien species interact with humanity at some point. Um, but I don't think it's likely, like, I don't kind of put a lot of stock in the idea that like, you know, there's some sort of alien race that is aware of us, but won't uplift us for like ethical reasons or whatever. Um, sure. I think, I think that all aliens and things are probably just, uh, 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 are probably just mistakes, uh, except for the pyramids. Those were definitely built by aliens. <laughs> no, I, I don't actually believe it. <laughs> just to be clear. No, uh, uh, but yeah. Um, uh, next question. Uh, what do you want your legacy to be? Oof, this is a deep cut. Uh, this is a really tough one. Uh, I used to have a really hard time conceptualizing this, but I think it was fundamentally a problem of like my own kind of individualization. Um, where the like the uh, do you remember Bards of Light Thrun? This is probably the best way to get at this. Bars of Light Thrun's motivation in Hell's Rebels was to leave a legacy. He was impotent, so he knew he like couldn't pass on like his family line, but he wanted to leave a lasting legacy. He was petrified of the idea of dying and his like and not being like remembered. Part of this is just kind of the function of Chilax, which is like the fascist community that like the fascist nation that he was part of. Something that they would do is if someone like displeased you, they would edit you out of everything, right? They would redact you from the history books so that no one would ever know your name. And that was existentially terrifying to um Bartolite Room. And so that's that was his whole motivation for everything that he did in that game was he wanted to be he wanted to leave a real legacy he wanted to like leave a mark kind of thing and there was a while where I had a kind of similar conception of sort of like myself and the world in a way I kind of it was almost this like weirdly like you know like attention mercantilism where there is a sum total of attention in the world that could be paid to anyone. I need to get as much of it on me as possible so that I can leave a legacy when I'm gone, right? Like, when I'm dead. Uh, Hypothetically speaking, I think most people accomplish this one by having families, but even that doesn't really, like, last all that long, right? Like, I don't really know who my great-grandparents are. Um, and, uh, once my kids would have, once I would be great grandparents to great grandkids, I probably wouldn't be remembered all that much either. But the thing that kind of got me over all of this, it was the, was kind of the idea that like, it doesn't matter. None of this matters really. Um, the best you can do is have lots of fun and, uh, do fun hedonistic bullshit all the time because that's great. And, uh, and try and be, man. and try and be smarter at every individual, you know, like, and try and be smarter at every individual opportunity, right? Like I think of the, the goal of the human race is to be smarter at things is to gain knowledge more rapidly than we lose knowledge to ignorance essentially. Um, and so I feel pretty good at just participating in that forward momentum of time right even the small things right like the friends of mine who i've been able to convince that man of steel or batman vs superman is a better movie than they gave it credit for right or you want to go down as a villain the arguments no 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 but like you know you're sandbagging me hard man (laughs) no but like this is this is the kind of stuff like yeah i don't i don't need to i don't feel a compulsion to be you know 
Elon Musk or like Jeff Jeff Bezos or or like you know uh, like on a site like Stephen Hawking or someone kind of along those lines, right? Like even just the little things, I feel pretty accomplished about, right? My ability to talk about whatever on this podcast and when people listen to it they go yeah you know that's probably right that's probably correct right that is satisfying enough for me uh to be my legacy and i'm pretty i don't care all that much if i die and nobody really remembers are you you suggesting that this podcast is part of your legacy that you want you want you want some talk about games to be the the pillar that you're remembered well essentially essentially what i'm saying is like i don't need my legacy to be like incredibly powerful as long as it is momentarily meaningful. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, right? that, that, like, that's fair. Um, I'm kind of of two minds about this question. Uh, my my first one uh, is kind of like, in, in kind of like a mere reflection of, you know, nothing, like, you know, like, none of this really matters. Mine's kind of like, none of this really matters. Um, <laughs> um, and, and I kind of want, uh, you know, I, like I said, I said this before, I, I want to live forever. Um, and so at that point, my legacy doesn't really matter because I'm around. Um, insofar as that's not true and that's, like, a little bit further, there is a part of me that wants to be kind of, like, what, like, you know, not necessarily, like, globally or anything, but but remembered as kind of, like, uh, a decent person, as kind of, like, a, uh, like, my, my retirement, I kind of want to be, uh, like, running a tabletop gaming store, that the you know that people in the community come to and people remember me fondly from that, regardless of kind of like what I ever do with my profession. Everybody's life. going to mangoes. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of true, right? Like, yeah. um, and that's that's kind of I, kind of what ideally I would I, I would like, and that that's very localized, but uh, you know that that would be no, yeah, I get that. Like yeah. I I, the, it, I I very much agree with that localization because like I am very concerned with like like something that bothers me. On a, on a weird level that I can't explain is th- when people don't remember me. Anytime I meet somebody for a second time and they're like, oh, right, we did meet here. That, like, wounds me to my core. I always want to, like, come back and see someone who I haven't seen for two years and they're like, oh, my God, I remember when you did whatever right like the last time we were like hanging out and so like th- that's what i mean by like momentarily like it matters to me a lot but like in the grand scheme of things i could care- i could fucking care less like i think i think that's really fair uh okay here's a big one what is a belief you hold dear that the majority of your friend group disagrees with you on uh oof Th- there's a whole range of things i could go into <laughs> i was gonna say the same thing um, my gut instinct is to just yell taxation is theft, um, which is not quite true. Um, I don't, I don't quite believe that exactly, but, um, but how do I want to put this? Uh, I, I think that I believe more in kind of, uh, uh, more, more in kind of like the ability to, you know, I need a second to put this together. You, do you have an answer? Yeah, so uh, the, I have plenty of non-serious answers to this, right? Like Batman vs Superman is a good movie or whatever, but um, but I think probably one of the I actually just had this a second ago, and I just oh, uh, and so probably one of like the realest ones, which is not a hill that I die on, but it is something that I am fairly convinced of, and uh, and I wish more people agreed with me on it. Uh, is that I think sex offenders get a really bad rap. Um, legalistically speaking, 
because and this all stems from I went I, I was part of like uh I was part of like a pre college program where I was like a like a like a camp counselor kind of sort of thing for kids who were taking college courses at Johns Hopkins. And one of the courses was a psychology course and they had like a field trip to a like sex offender rehabilitation counseling center, right? Um and uh and I was like the chaperone on that trip. I was like the camp counselor chaperone on that trip, but I always found that to be insanely enlightening um, in terms of kind of the scope and power of these laws and how things kind of, like, get treated. Like, don't get me wrong, obviously sex offenders are, like, you know, shitty and everything. Uh, but, like, the the idea of, uh, like, the idea of someone who is, like, a child rapist is so far-fetched in terms of kind of like the reality of the situation like one of the counselors he sat down and he and we asked him we he we said how many people would you describe as like literal like pedophilic monsters kind of you know what i mean like the like who are the people who are like real predators and he said in his you know, I think he's had a dozen years of working in this counseling center, seeing hundreds of patients. He met one person that he would say is like a real, true, bona fide, like sexual predator, right? And most people are people who got, you know, really, they got caught in very bad situations, right? Where they definitely deserve some punishment. Uh, but the kind of social death that comes with being on the sex offender registry and the social stigma that comes with that, which is mostly born out of kind of this, like, you know, moralistic ignorance, I guess I would, I would say like, there's a disconnect between the, the moralism and like the facts of the matter. Uh, and that has always affected me very profoundly. Um, so yeah, that's probably the, the, the belief I hold dear that the majority of people disagree with me on. Uh, yeah, and and I I think kind of in 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 that vein, I I, I think I largely uh, agree with you on on grounds. I think will be a little bit more clear is that I I think that I, I find that the danger of of relinquishing your, your your kind of personal agency to an authority um is a lot more dangerous has a lot more unintended consequences than people are willing to acknowledge. And I think that this thing you're talking about is part of it. Um, like obviously, the meme answer for that kind of thing is, you know, the the guy who is urinating in public gets put on the sex offender registry for the rest of his life and can't get a job because of it. Yeah, um, that's actually, by the way, like a, a misconception. Very rarely does that kind of thing happen, but like, sure, yeah, sure. I just but, but, really, but, really, what it comes down to is, I think people are wrong on the facts when it comes to this stuff, and I wish we would all be more informed. Sure, and but you know, like. You know, that thing doesn't happen super frequently, but it does happen, and it probably yeah. happened because somebody in power had a, a had a problem with someone or decided that they needed to make an example out of someone. And so they took the fact that the four corners of whatever provision that gave them power um, goes a little bit further than maybe it should, and they pushed it to its limit to, for a purpose that personally damaged someone's life because that person was not properly considered. And that's the thing that I am very afraid of. Um, and obviously, um, if you know, if you couldn't tell from the taxation is theft kind of uh, meme, that, that has led to a very strong libertarian streak in me. Um, and obviously, that is at odds with a lot of people, especially in my age group. Um, but yeah, that's that's probably it for me. Um, Fair enough. 
Uh, and then the last one from Monik. Finally, it took us an hour to get through Monik's questions. Jesus but, uh, Christ. Uh, <laughs> this is going to be like last time, buddy. Um, yeah, for real. Uh, what is your favorite quote from a movie? This one is very easy for me. Uh, Kanbei, the leader of the Seven Samurai, says, This is the nature of war. By protecting others, you save yourselves. And I've always found that to be just beautiful. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. It just is... Aesthetically pleasing words that come out of an older Japanese man's mouth. Yeah, no, that's that's, that's a good one. Um, mine, I also I also kind of know off the top of my head, and it's a little bit longer, but it's from uh, it's from the Matrix Revolutions. Um, it's Agent Smith fighting Neo in the rain. Um, I've got it up here just so I can read the whole thing. Why, Mr. Anderson, why? Why do you do it? Why get up? Why keep fighting? Do you believe you're fighting for something, for more than your survival? Can you tell me what it is? Do you even know? Is it freedom or truth? Perhaps peace? Yes? No? Could it be for love? Illusions, Mr. Anderson. Vagaries of perception. The temporary constructs of a feeble human intellect trying desperately to justify an existence that is without meaning or purpose. And all of them as artificial as the Matrix itself, although only a human mind could invent something as insipid as love. You must be able to see it, Mr. Anderson. You must know it by now. You can't win. It's pointless to keep fighting. Why, Mr. Anderson? Why? Why do you persist? And Neo responds, because I choose to. And that's that just that just kind of uh, encapsulates a lot of a lot of how I feel about the world, honestly. Um, Fair enough. Good Hugo weaving impression. Uh, yeah, well, I've thank, watched thank that you. scene a lot. <laughs> um, thank you, Ronick. For we we really need to do shout out to Jimmy. Jimmy, I know you're listening. We will absolutely do a Matrix podcast and absolutely. have you on for it because we talked about this like four times. <laughs> okay, uh, um, so thank you, Monic. Yeah. The now best. that we are past the patrons, uh, I think we should rotate through questions from people. Uh, does that sound good to you? Yeah. Um, let's start with Let's start with Jimmy, since you mentioned him. His first question is: uh, What is your favorite movie of the Matrix trilogy, and Ooh. why is your answer IDK Jimmy? They are yes. so incredibly amazing. There is no way I can choose. <laughs> Jimmy gets it. It's so good. Okay, here's my thing. I love the. I actually really love the Matrix movies, and I love all three of them. Uh, I think the Matrix movies two and three are get a bad rap. They kind of have the that problem of like the first one is the best um, and really knocked everyone out of the park, and you just can't meet those same expectations in the second one um, and in the third one. I have a really tough time choosing a favorite, and I do want to be clear, The Matrix 1 is the best, The Matrix 2 is the second best, and The Matrix 3 is the third best. Um, but, like, obviously, I'm very I'm very happy to choose outside of, like, best realms when it comes to what is and isn't my favorite. Um, because there's, like, there's just a lot, there's just a lot in there. Like, so, for instance, something that I love, uh, that I think most people really hate is the end of Matrix Reloaded. I think it is insanely philosophically clever and really interesting, and it doesn't get its due because it's honestly kind of confusing until you put them all, all three of them together, and you really kind of understand, like, the lore. Um, but that is actually probably, like, my favorite moment in all of the Matrix, when the architect reveals to Neo that, no, his revolution isn't coming, all of this has been predicted by the machines, and all of the choices that he is making now are designed as restraints on him, and he has gone through this process six times before, right? Like, oh, what a great gut punch. I really love that. Uh, I really love that moment, which I think is probably 
That's a really controversial answer. Um, the problem is, is that I don't like a lot of the other stuff that happens in Matrix Reloaded. Um, and, like, so, for instance, I really like the Matrix Revolution's battle scene with the big mechs and stuff. Um, I think that's a lot of fun, but um, the stuff that kind of happens in the middle there is, like, really not great. And even until the very fight... The very final fight scene with Smith I don't think is incredibly interesting or compelling. Um, and then Matrix 1, which I also, uh, you know, which is really strong and everything, also just, like, kind of weirdly pales in comparison to the other ones. Because, like, ultimately the allegory of the cave stuff that it's doing is less complex than the stuff that happens, thematically speaking, in Reloaded and Revolutions. It's all just about, right, you know suspend your illusions this is not real right like what if that kind of stuff um and so like man it's really it's really i think i I think reloaded is probably my favorite just because it has my favorite moment in all three of them uh even if oh and also by the way that fucking highway scene is a banger anybody who tells you that that fucking crazy ass highway fight scene isn't the coolest fight scene in the matrix mm, get at me <laughs> uh, so I'm mostly going to agree with you, except that I'm I'm like I view the Matrix trilogy kind of like I view the original Star Wars trilogy, which is the one is that the first one is the best standalone. But I actually think it peaks in the second one. Whoa! Um, Reloaded is also my <laughs> favorite. I think it is. I think it is the most heady, um, and I think it's the most the most deeply kind of philosophical. Even though my favorite moment is what I just read in in the third one, I think the yeah. second one has the the deepest exploration of the themes. Um, I think the turban gets bogged, like, like the, the cave, like, or the, the fight for Zion is fun, I guess. Um, but I feel like it just kind of drags, um, as a piece of action cinematography, it's fine. Um, perhaps even good, but I think, I think that it's, uh, I don't, like, I, I, I'm not a, I, I, all this, all this action is getting in the way of my philosophy type of deal. (laughs) Um, and I think that, that re, uh, reloaded was best at that, um. So uh, yeah, that's that's my answer. Is is reloaded? Fair enough. Yeah. Wow. Both of us agree that yeah. reloaded is our favorite. Jesus. All right. Uh, how do you feel about ketchup on hot dogs? Hot dogs, and what toppings do you put on your hot dogs? Um, I uh, so I'm not a, the biggest fan of ketchup in the kind of first place. Nor am I the biggest fan of hot dogs. Oof. Um, uh, but I will sh- I will shout out Italian hot dogs. Have you ever had an Italian hot dog there in New Jersey thing? Like, a, mm-hmm. I think it's East Orange. Um, yeah, I mean, I lived, like, South Orange was the yeah. school district. Do you, you know what to, Jimmy so. Buffs is? Uh, no. Jimmy Buffs is an Italian hot dog place. It's basically a thing called pizza bread. It looks like, kind of like a pita. And you put a hot dog or two or a sausage or two. I usually put the sausage in it. With some fried potatoes and some peppers and onions. And you slather it in ketchup and mustard. Yeah, and, yeah. And uh, it's like... The worst thing in the world for you. It's like a heart attack on a roll, but it's delicious and it's my favorite thing. Yeah, so. I've had that a bunch of times. Maybe I have been to Jimmy Buffs because it's in it's in Newark, and I've had that before because I actually really like that like version of a hot dog. Though I get it without mustard because I don't like mustard. Um, uh, but yeah, is that like your preferred hot dog? Yeah, it's the Italian. It's the Italian hot dog, and without a hot dog, but with the sausage instead. So you know, fair enough. Uh, uh, I think my very favorite kind of hot dog are like Central Park. You know, like, or even just like anywhere in New York City, those like steamed hot dogs that they have, uh, like all over the place. There was actually a while where I was biking a lot in Morristown, where I lived, um, and I could get a hot dog for 75 cents. I feel like I'm like 
talking about and back in my day well i could get a hot dog for 75 cents which was insanely cheap and so a lot of the times when i was like biking from one end of town to the other to like go hang out with my friends kind of thing um i would get one of those hot dogs and the very best way to get it uh as far as i'm concerned is with ketchup and diced onions and that's my that is my preferred hot dog i actually think my preferred preferred hot dog might just be it and ketchup but i also but I think yeah, it's tough. It's really even between that one and ketchup and diced onions. Yeah, I, I think I have to give a shout out to uh, 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 Street Dogs. Uh, we've talked about this before. Uh, maybe not on the cast, but um, it's a thing that was that I had access to in San Francisco. I think they're also a thing in, in uh, L.A. Um, but they're basically like after dark, a cart will uh, uh, a cart will come out and there will be like a, a dog wrapped in bacon on a bun with peppers and onions and maybe jalapenos mm-hmm. if you want it. And yep. like sauce on it, and those are great, especially if you've been drinking. I know that doesn't apply to you, buddy, but man, those hit the spot. Um, yeah, those are those. This are my is favorites. a real story. Uh, so I went to a work when I was still working at Square Enix. I went to uh, like a work barbecue. It was on like a Saturday or something like that, and um, and I walk up to my boss who is at the um, who's like at the grill, and he's grilling burgers and hot dogs. And there's a bunch of bacon. And I was like, oh, what's the bacon for? And he says, uh, oh, well, take a seat and start wrapping hot dogs and bacon and I'll barbecue them for you, right? And for some reason, this, like, directive coming from my boss on, like, a Saturday where I wasn't really even thinking about it became, like, a real, like, order in a way. So I literally sat down at this barbecue and I started wrapping all of the hot dogs in all of the bacon and for two hours, I just sat there wrapping hot dogs in bacon, <laughs> and I was so happy. I was honestly having a really great time because people would come in, and we would some people would sit down, and we would wrap together maybe for like 15 or 20 minutes. We'd have a little conversation. They would leave or whatever. And eventually, I ran out, and I asked my boss. I was like, hey, man, where can I get some more bacon? And he just like looked at this giant stack of fucking like bacon-wrapped hot dogs. Like, wait, buddy, have you been here wrapping? I just meant... Take two hot dogs, wrap them in bacon, I'll make them for you, and you can go have fun. What is wrong with you? <laughs> but you've discovered the joy of cooking. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah, I don't I don't like I really have no way to explain that. The when he said that to me, I was just like, you are the stupidest person alive for not realizing <laughs> that you were just supposed to wrap two. You know, like the two that you wanted and not sit there and wrap every single hot dog that made it to this barbecue. Oh boy! <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's move on to a, a question from from Paul, a uh, friend of the cast from uh, our friends over at the Minute Cast. Um, what is the best milkshake duck of 2019? Uh, uh, for those of you at home that don't know, a milkshake duck is a thing that is popular that is then discovered to be kind of terrible. Um, do you, do you have an answer for this? I do have an answer for this, but I'm not sure it quite counts. Uh, the best milkshake duck for me personally of 2019 is Max Landis. Uh, Max Landis, which isn't to say, by the way, that this happened in 2019. It kind of only really got sort of, like, confirmed for me in 2019. Max Landis is a screenwriter um, who had a really active Twitter presence. And and I followed him on Twitter, and I thought he was... I get very suckered by these kinds of people in a a certain sort of sense. I thought he was really profound. He had a lot of uh, thoughts about movies 
and how they work and how stories are designed and all this other kind of stuff. And he would talk about it and I was really fascinated. And I thought, you know, he wasn't right about everything, obviously. Like, you know, he hated Batman versus Superman, which is obviously wrong. Um, But, like, there was a lot of insight on his Twitter feed and I really appreciated that. Then he kind of got weirdly wrapped up in Me Too stuff, right? But everything was insanely vague and I didn't understand kind of, like, where this happened. Like, one day he just drops off the face of the earth uh, from, like, Twitter and uh and everyone's talking about him being me tooed but like the source of the him being me tooed was like a tweet that was that was literally like well if i was the son of a famous director i would be really worried right now and it's like what does that even mean that's like so vague and pointless um and the other thing is that like max is a provocateur and made a lot of enemies. And so that was also kind of like well-known and kind of like baked in to my understanding of kind of like who he was, how, how he kind of acted, uh, later by two, three years, maybe. So this year, I think the Atlantic, like the, the New Yorker, somebody, you know, somebody really came out and laid it all on the table. They were like, these are the eight women who are making these accusations. This is what they say happened. This is how he systematically behaves, right? Apparently the whole thing was actually prompted by, because he like dropped off the face of the earth, like people thought he was going better or whatever, um, but then it wasn't going better and he was like really gaslighting people. And once I read, read that article, I was like, okay, yep, Max, Max Landis not a good person and you i have been milkshake ducked as much as i appreciate your insight on twitter into you know like fucking marvel movies uh that's pretty gross so yeah, yeah. That, that's that's a really good answer um uh so this this is also gonna be a little bit of, of a weird one but i'm gonna say like borderlands 3 Oh, um, yeah. Which I alluded to earlier, right? Like, there's the stuff with Randy, and I could forgive that because it's, you know... Like, there's a bunch of stuff with Randy that I could probably forgive because it's Randy and he's not the whole game. And then there was this stuff with them sending, like, private eyes to a person, uh, like, to because they, like, took footage from, like, a private stream through, like, a, a quirk in Twitch's system. And, you know, like, you know, there's some justification there, but just all this kind of together has added up to, like... You know, I want to like Borderlands 3, but it's making it really hard for me, guys. Like, could you please stop, maybe? Um, which is uh, unfortunate. Um, I guess I should probably disclose this. I'm invested in Take 2, so I want to see the game do well because it'll do good for my financial portfolio. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is kind of uh, 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 aggravating, I guess. Um, but that, that's got to be my answer. Yeah, fair enough. Um, second question from uh, from Mr. Paul um, has wait 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 are we rotating? Uh, so I you did, we did two questions from Jimmy. I figure we'll do two questions. Oh right, from yeah, Paul. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, you're right, you're right. We'll you're do right. two questions from each through. Um, what sandwich best encapsulates 2019 so far? Uh, do you do you have a, an answer for this? Here's my – I'm going to go with my just immediate thought, the thing that popped into my head. And this is a little bit personal personal to me, so I, I apologize if this sounds really delicious to you. A BLT, but where they put mustard on it instead of mayo, and they added two slices of tomato rather than one. And I will say, as I alluded before, I don't like mustard, and I also don't like raw tomato on my sandwiches. Um, so that is like – 
it's close to good. It is it is a perversion of something that I think is really great. BLTs are really awesome. But like why did they fucking have to ruin it? Why did they have to ruin it with mustard and with tomatoes, right? Which are like not even that big of a deal. Do you know what I mean? Like in a certain sense, I sort of think like like you know, maybe 2016 I would describe as like a year that is like a really great club sandwich and on the last bite you eat a cockroach and you're just like what the fuck this is going so well and now it sucks you know what i mean 2019 hasn't had anything like that like terribly damning but it's just kind of i find myself in this like mindset all the time just like what why why is this happening and that's that's my answer. A BLT with two slices of tomato instead of one and mustard instead of mayo. Uh, so my answer is going to be a little bit of a cop-out. Um, but I'm going to say it's, uh, it's a Crave case. Um, and that's because, uh, you know, everything keeps happening so fast. And you just keep eating them. And then you're sick of them at this point. But everything keeps coming. And, uh, you know, it just everything's moving so fast. And I'm tired of it. And uh, I can't even remember the first, the first, uh, the first, the first thing that happened in the year. So uh, that's going to be my answer. Fair uh, enough. Okay, we will move on to our good friend Akshay. Well, they had three questions. Count them three, um, and uh, and we'll do the first two. So his first question is: Are we boomer or are we dancer? What do you think, Mango? Uh, for those of you at home who don't know. Uh, this is probably a reference to uh, uh, "Are We Human or Are We Dancer," which is by uh, what's what's the name of the? I I actually terrible with band names. Do you do you know do you know off the top of the head who that is? Uh, uh, no, no, I don't. I do know that it's like a band thing, but only I don't think I've ever even listened to the song. I think I just know the meme. Yeah, uh, that is. I'm looking it up right now. It's the Killers. It's called Human. Um, and that line is actually a reference to a Hunter S. Thompson quote, which is essentially we're raising a generation of dancers. Um, so uh, the answer from me will be, um, I don't know, are we boomer or are we dancer? I feel like I feel like I am steadily progressing from dancer to boomer uh, as, I, as I age. I feel as, that in you so hard. <laughs> well, thanks, buddy. <laughs> I'm honestly, you know, not to, not to, not to reject the hypothesis, uh, but I am honestly like really intrigued. I guess I would say by the distance at which the term boomer has traveled in the zeitgeist recently. Like, I don't know where this came from, but people complaining about boomers and making fun of like boomers is really, really fascinating to me. Um, because I almost like view it as like this sort of almost like, um, you know, it's a little like, uh, it's a little like Antifa or something, which is like, I broadly agree with you, but I sort of specifically don't, right? Like, it feels like everybody complaining about boomers are also the same people that are complaining about how, like, you know, millennials are killing things because, like, we're poor and we can't buy houses or, like, whatever else. And it's like, don't you guys see the hypocrisy here, right? Like, the boomers shit on you generationally by applying this very wide label and misunderstanding you and like now you're kind of doing the exact same thing to them and that really like weirdly bothers me but i also feel like you know 
yes, broadly speaking, I feel like boomers have been shitty to millennials, and I'm allied to my fellow millennials, I guess. Like, you know what I mean? So, I'm mostly just interested in the term boomer. I don't, what's the question? What, what does raising a generation of dancers mean? I probably um, like the I idea of raising know. a generation of dancers, but... Like, uh, I, I'm okay. not quite sure. I've never looked into deeply what Hunter. I very Thompson much like or... Hunter S. Thompson. I think he's a smart guy, and I've read uh, a bunch of his books. Uh, I guess, but uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what he's saying by this like dancer, dancer stuff. I I, I think the, the the boomer thing is it's an easy thing to say. Like you know, Gen X kind of gets lost in this mix. But I think that when people say boomer, they mean Gen X a lot too. Um, uh, I'm actually looking up the wiki quote and no one seems, apparently the person who attributed this to Hunter S. Thompson said, he says the lyrics were inspired by a disparaging comment made by Hunter S. Thompson about how America was raising a generation of Tony Danza's man. Wow. Tony Danza. Uh, and then, and then there's a bunch of people who are like, where is the quote? Me too. I'd like a quote. Can someone? Oh wait, I think somebody found a quote. Let's click this link. Let's let's go down. Let's go deep. No, fuck. This is the quote. See, this is the problem. Is all of these are quotes to the killers guy. Nobody has the quote for for Hunter S. Thompson. I feel like Tony Danza. Why, why would that be bad? <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, yeah, yeah. I I in generally think I in general think that uh, like this is a conversation that I that I we have had in places on like the podcast like i think that there is an overly utilitarian sort of streak in like modern society that is sort of like borne out by problems in like capitalism this is kind of the argument that like don't get an art degree because it's like useless i mean you, i know you're gonna disagree with this but this is the point i'm making anyway um uh, yeah it's yeah. And, your uh, podcast and, too <laughs> yeah right yeah 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 it's my podcast too mango anyway i'm um, just gonna delete so, this like, and you won't even know that's <laughs> <laughs> true that's fair uh and so there's this kind of urge um that that comes out where people look at things like education right like you look at college as a job training facility right this is where i go to get my computer science degree to get you know or i mean to make this not specific to your degree uh this is where i go to get my petroleum engineering degree because it is the highest paid out of college job i could get or whatever right and there's a certain amount of that kind of like thinking that uh that I think would better be balanced by having more people who enter college saying, I want to learn about whatever, and I'm going to approach this as a academic endeavor rather than an economic or financial one. Um, and so broadly speaking, I'm probably on the dancer side of that, uh, that equation under that specific framing. I think we could deal with more dancers and less boomers. Yeah, I, I, I think part of this, too, is, is you know, you're, you're talking to a lot of things, and I, I could talk about credential inflation if you wanted to, which is kind of the necessity of college to do things um, and because of that. Like, I think that, like, you know, buddy, I'm going to stroke your ego a little bit here. I think you're a little bit special in that, like, <laughs> you have you, you have kind of, like, that drive. I think a lot of people who go to college go to college because they have to go to college, right? I think mm. our school in particular, we went to Johns Hopkins, was filled with people who were becoming doctors because that was the thing oh, that they were supposed sure. to yeah. do. Um, uh, and, you know, I happen to be fortunate enough to really enjoy something that's fairly lucrative with computer programming. So I definitely kind of – like, I would have done computer programming even if it wasn't a great-paying job. Mm. Um, but that's just kind of, like, how the uh, 
how the chips fell. Um, yeah, yeah. I, th- you know, going back to my whole thing about like knowledge and ignorance. Part of this is I just think of, like a lack of critical thinking. I have, a, I have a leg up because my family is like an academic family. Like my grandfather was a professor at Cornell. My, you know, like my aunt is like the school director of a prestigious, you know, Manhattan private school or whatever. So like thinking about the interaction between high school and college is something that my family is just like in general very well versed in. Uh, but I do think that there are a lot of people who just kind of end up in college because, like, it just seems like the next thing, in a way. Um, and they're not making active choices. They are sort of making passive choices. I almost did this, by the way, because after I was graduating, uh, I was like, well, what do you do next? And all of my friends were going to grad school. And I was like, well, maybe I'll go to fucking grad school. And then I literally had one conversation with my dad that was like, no, don't go to grad school because you don't have any better ideas, you dingus. <laughs> like, and, um, and so I think that that is part of it, right? Like, it's sort of a lack of critical thinking on people uh, for how they want to approach decisions in their lives and sort of this idea that, well, if I take my hands off the steering wheel and do and follow the current, I'll be, I'll be fine. Kind of like a a mentality, if that makes sense. Um, Yeah. So one last thing I want to talk about with this, it's kind of boomer aspect, right? Like, um, something that I can't believe we're getting so much mileage out of this question. (laughs) I mean, it's, 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 it's a decent question, right? Like, um, like, I think there's something to be said. Like, there's the joke that, like, the difference between uh, millennials and Gen Z is that millennials say uh, nothing matters and I want to die and they're depressed. And uh, Gen Z says, uh, you know, nothing matters and I want to die and, like, stick their thumbs up, right? Like, um, and I think that, like, with kind of the advent of a lot of kind of anonymizing forces um, and kind of like like the, the growth of nihilism kind of as it is um, – uh, has kind of like left people bereft of a lot of meaning. And I think the boomers are kind of the last generation that have strong kind of meaning that they derive from like family and religion. And not that those th- that necessarily makes those things an inherent good and that we need to preserve them because of that. But I do think it gave meaning to a lot of people in a world that is kind of ultimately meaningless. Oh, um, see, I also see, I mean, this is also a capitalism thing. I also think they derive a lot of meaning in capitalism because they are its beneficiaries. Whereas we came out of college in the middle of the Great Recession and had a really hard time finding, you know, success in, like... I think that's why, tangentially, I think that's why there's a lot of strength on the left behind socialism, because people feel legitimately let down by capitalism, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'd probably disagree with you on, on, on the necessary, the, the full legitimacy of that, but I understand, I understand the perspective. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think people just kind of, like... Be, so... I think I think this. I'm going to sound like Tucker Carlson. I really don't want to, but <laughs> like I think, kind of viewing kind of capitalism as the end state is kind of the mistake, right? And I don't, I don't, I don't even think that like the the strain of libertarianism that I subscribe to kind of views that as like the like the terminal human value being like wealth accumulation, right? I think that the terminal the terminal human value was always supposed to be something else and, you know, wealth accumulation was something along the way that maybe kind of, like, helped with it. Um, you know, we, we see this in kind of, like, on all... How many stories uh, that we have we read and have we seen in movies where it's, like, money doesn't buy you happiness, it's something else, right? It's, like, the friends and the family that you make. And I think that with kind of, like, the loss of some of these communal values, we've kind of fallen... Um, kind of, like, we've, we've kind of... Because we've lost those, we've we've shifted to the wealth accumulation thing being kind of the terminal value, which isn't 
isn't isn't the greatest. Yeah, um, I mean, and I think that that is part of this. Is, this feeds a little bit into my idea that like there's a lack of critical thinking, right? Yeah. Um, like so, for instance, I had a conversation with my sister. Shout out, Lucy. I know you don't listen to this podcast, but you know I'll, I'll reference our conversation. She is very good at the game, right? She had really great grades in high school. She got into a prestigious elite institution and got very good grades there. And she transferred those good grades into a prestigious job in the field that is both lucrative and that she is very and that she's very interested in, right? Um, and so she's kind of living in a certain sense like the yuppie dream, whereas I didn't do that because of the decisions that I made, right? And she was describing how her and all of her friends feel this intense, like, emptiness in themselves because, like, it's it's almost like fulfillment is always at the end of a at like the end of a goal, but those goals are always postponing fulfillment. If that makes sense, right? Like, you work really hard in high school to get good grades to get into college. Great, you're in college. Now you need to work really hard in college to get a good job, and then with a good job, you know, you'll get fulfillment. But now you're working that job, and it sucks. And you need to keep working that job until it gets better. And like, there, it's always like delaying the satisfaction. The satisfaction is never in in and of itself the thing you are doing. You are doing the thing as a means to attain that satisfaction. And I think to a certain extent, part of that comes from just like riding the rails of like systemic incentives, right? You are systemically incentivized to find high paying jobs. And so people will opt into them in kind of unconscious sort of ways, if that makes sense, which is part of this like capitalism is the end state, right? Like people are just responding to these vectors without really thinking about that stuff more complexly. Yeah, I I, 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 I get that. I, I think I agree with you on the broad strokes. I might just, I might have quibbles on, on, on the small strokes, but yeah. I, I get that. I mean, part of this, but, you know, like, this also is not to, like, indict, you know, like, capitalism. It's not me yeah. being, like, fucking, <laughs> I'll, I'll power the workers, comrade, <laughs> hang the parasites, right? You know, like, obviously, I don't think that that, but, uh, but I do think, you know, it, it the, the forces of our economic well-being do impact people in that kind of a personal way. So that was like a 20 minute answer to are we boomer or are we dancer? Are we dancer? <laughs> um, for lighter fare, anything exciting on the MMO slash RPG horizon in the coming year or any time frame really? I mean, I'm pretty hyped to see what happens with, uh, with World of Warcraft. I, you know, I've been such an apologist for BFA compared to a lot of people, though most, like, the common sentiment has kind of come around post 7.2, right? 7.2 was a good patch that brought a lot of people back to the game, uh, which is great, though I would argue that those people were, well, whatever, who cares? Anyway, uh, so I'm excited to see kind of what comes next when uh, when we're looking at, like, the future of BFA. A lot of people seem to think that factions will, will go away in terms of, uh, like, a gating mechanic, Um People will still be gated in certain, like, story circumstances and stuff like that, Uh, but they think there's going to be cross-realm raiding, and you're going to be able to, like, group up and talk with people in uh, in the enemy faction in the future of World of Warcraft, which I think is kind of interesting interesting uh i've always been looking forward to kind of evolutions in the in the factionalization uh of wow and so we'll uh we'll see where it goes um 
the I guess the other thing is Classic WoW. I'm really excited to see kind of how Classic WoW works. Um, I am a little bit mortified by what I have seen so far from the community. Um, I do not like a lot of the... You know, so for instance, Dan Olson on Twitter this morning had a really good thread kind of talking about how Classic WoW is about to repeat the same problems that original WoW had, um, specifically because the drivers of the community, like the thought leaders in the community of Classic WoW people, are forcing them down this path. Essentially, Classic WoW looks to be attracting between 1 million and 2 million players, um, but like Blizzard is pretty sure it's going to be somewhere in like the, you know, a couple hundred thousand, right? Like 250,000 sort of. Uh, like those are the stable players who will be playing lots of classic WoW. And they have a lot of tools over the years that they have like implemented in order to kind of help with that population problem, right? Where people surge onto servers, right? But they don't really stick around. And so then the servers die kind of immediately. Like the infamous thing that happened with original WoW is it blew up in popularity and they just kept adding servers and servers and servers and servers and servers, right? And now we're kind of at a point where there just aren't enough people to fill out those servers anymore. Um, and because the classic WoW community has said, no, we want the authentic experience, they are blocking essentially sort of through like the cultural power that they are afforded any efforts to buy blizzard to not just respond to the problem of population by just adding tons and tons of servers uh they've already added i think four and they'll probably continue adding servers for up until launch which is next monday uh and we're all kind of like waiting for in with bated breath to see you know, to see what ends up happening uh, when it comes to Classic WoW's launch. So that is, I am excited to see all that stuff play out because, you know, from a, I'm a gaming podcaster who's really interested in the, the nuts and bolts of this stuff behind the scenes. I want to see what happens. Uh, yeah, no, uh, that that makes a lot of sense. I'm 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 very interested to see how WoW, how WoW Classic does. You know, we we famously predicted that it wouldn't wouldn't be. As popular as as the as the the yaysayers, I guess is the best way to put it, uh, said it would be. So uh, I'm interested to see how that plays out. Um, for my part, um, I I, I kind of keep my eye on a handful of different projects in the works. The only one that like, or the one the one that's probably got the most interest from me is uh, Crowfall. Um, I'm not like bought into it or anything, but it looks like it's really interesting. They're really ambitious. Um, actually, funnily enough, I'm pretty sure I saw J. Todd Coleman, who's one of the directors of the game, on the street at Gen Con, and I kind of, like, stared really hard at him because I recognized him, but I couldn't figure out where from, and he just kind of, like, looked at me strange and then walked away. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, you know, uh, apologies to J. Todd Coleman. Um, Definitely listen to this uh, podcast. Thanks yeah. for your support, J. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, it's, it looks really interesting. It looks really ambitious, and I hope it, uh, I hope it, uh, it works out well. Uh, but, uh, you know, the end, it's, it's one of these games that got like a, uh, billion dollars in funding and there's no yeah. end in sight because there's so many things to do, but, um, I've got hope they keep posting updates and the game is actually playable. So maybe, maybe, um, but those are my big things for, that's my biggest thing for MMO slash RPGs. Um, and then, uh, let's just finish out Oxidations. You only had three questions. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, what piece of media are you most looking forward to between now and 2020? I kind of have two answers to this. One is in the most like technically correct version of looking forward where I, where, which has no connotation of good or bad. Um, the thing that I am 
looking at in the future with with the most is Star Wars Episode Nine, uh, and the reason that I say it in that way is because, boy, am I worried. <laughs> like I think about this kind of con- we haven't even really talked about this all that much but i just like think about this like constantly like i'll be in the fucking shower and i'm just like god they're gonna fucking ruin this movie or like oh i really hope like ray's parents aren't like obi-wan kenobi or you know like whatever because like i'm just oh man i have so little faith and i am so worried based on the trailer and everything that we've heard so far um I feel like this movie is going to... Oh, boy. Uh, so, yeah, in the most technically correct version of that, which doesn't have a connotation of good, that's what I'm uh, most looking forward to, which does have a connotation of good, is probably whatever the next Total War uh, Warhammer 2 DLC, piece of DLC is. Uh, we know that it's coming a little bit later this year because the fucking Total War community are insane, and so they track when creative assembly upload nameless files to steam to rig reserve things so we know that it's coming at some point uh but we do not know when uh and i just love that game so much and it's probably been you know it has been one of the biggest games that i've been playing uh all you know of the later half since 2016 i guess when the first one came out so I'm really excited to see what they have next because it it could really kind of be anything at this point. We have seen uh, they have followed the pattern that normally would result in it just being the next game, but they have told us that more DLC is coming. So I'm excited to see what comes out. Yeah, um, uh, I kind of want to agree with you on Star Wars Episode Nine. I'm uh, a little bit more optimistic just because like it could like Episode Nine could literally be anything like. I have no idea. Uh, it is, it is. I am not dreading it um, the way I was dreading episode eight, um, uh, which turned out to, to be fair better than my expectations. Even if I'm not, if, even if I'm lukewarm on it, um, just because I don't know what an episode nine is, and so it has the potential to be good, which um, I hope it is. Um, but in kind of uh, other terms, uh, this piece of media I think I'm really most interested in seeing is uh, Death Stranding. Uh, we got a some more details. We got some gameplay footage. We got some lore details uh, today from Gamescom. Um, Kideo Kojima got on stage with Jeff Keighley and uh, told us some stuff. Um, showed off that Jeff Keighley actually got scanned into the fucking game. Um, this game is going to be bonkers. Um, and it might not even be good, but uh, I think Hideo Kojima is probably the truest of the auteurs in the video game industry. And so I am, I am definitely here just to at least see what it is. Um, uh, it is, uh, it's insane. Uh, we found out today that the, the babies, which are called BBs are like, they have like brain dead mothers that are like kept in stasis so that like the babies can synchronize with their wombs in their artificial wombs. And this provides a connection to the land of the dead somehow. Um, uh, and, uh, I don't understand what this is and it looks crazy um and uh i want to play it uh, and i'll get to in november so uh, i'm excited for that so that's God, i can't believe that it's coming out this year i feel like there's so much stuff happening this year that yeah. i just am constantly reminded of like oh wow yeah right that is that's later this year right sure yeah um let's move to aaron since he only has two questions a uh, friend of the cast aaron has asked us how have your gaming priorities changed over the years which i think is a great question uh 
Uh, for me, I'm going to say that, like, I have had much less time to game than I've had in the past. And so um, I find myself getting sucked in a lot by lifestyle games. But, like, I definitely have a desire and a tendency to be like, I'm going to go play this game. And I'm going to set aside this time to play this game. Um, I'm going to make sure I play this game. And, like, if I really like it, I'll play it to completion. Um, but I find that I have to do that. Otherwise, I just end up playing, like, League with you guys or, like, grinding away in Final Fantasy fourteen or whatever lifestyle game I'm currently playing at the moment. Um, yeah, that is, that is really true to my experience as well. Uh, obviously, like, I'm playing three lifestyle games at this point. You know, like, World of Warcraft, Hearthstone, and League of Legends are all lifestyle games that I'm, like, trying to kind of, like, juggle about. Like, even, like, Heroes of the Storm, right? Uh, but most of my gaming priorities revolve around my social life at this point. Outside of Hearthstone, which is kind of the only game that I sort of, like, play for myself, right? Like, most of my friends don't play it. Even, like, my WoW friends and stuff don't play it. A lot of the decisions that I'm making about how I am prioritizing games are just about uh, playing with people. Um, and that's a really good thing, to be honest with you. I have a feeling that it'll go away uh, at certain points and kind of, it'll like, like, when the new Total War expansion comes out, it'll be, you know, it'll be a thing where... I disappear into the void for two weeks or something, right? Like, this just happened with, you know, uh, other friend of the cast, Charles Pow, who was playing League with us every freaking night, and then, you know, Fire Emblem Three Houses came out, and I basically didn't see him for a week. And I think, I think that's kind of the natural cadence these days when it comes to how, uh, like, how video games sort of interact uh, with my with my kind of my priorities, I'm finding myself mostly prioritizing based on kind of like the social situation. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, I mean, same true for me. Um, all right, and then the second question is uh, two parter. What common mistake did you make as a player in a tabletop setting and as a GM? Um, as a player, I think it's a little bit harder to make mistakes, but I definitely think that. There have been times when I focused too hard on, like, dumb mechanics than on kind of, like, being part of the game. Um, I think that's much easier to do when you're playing online. Uh, just kind of – it's because things can get so disconnected and it's so easy to be distracted. It's much easier to kind of, like, dig into your character's mechanics as the biggest biggest connection point. Um, and so I think I – if I could change things, I'd dig deeper into, like, kind of, like, being part of the world um, and also paying more attention during online games. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. tough. Uh, the biggest mistake I've always made as a player is cheating, right? Like, or not always made, but the biggest mistake I made as a player was cheating. I used to cheat all the time when I was uh, playing in, like, high school. And it's hollow. It's just very hollow. Like, succeeding at everything is, like, very hollow. I think it's something that, like, you're incentivized to do by video games in a way because a lot of them are like challenges that are tests of like your your ability to kind of like do things like definitively we've talked about this in a in a couple of different terms but like that idea in StarCraft where like you know you could understand the unit interaction better and so there's always that like next plateau of skill to gain right uh, is something that is a very video game thing. And when you translate that into tabletop RPGs, it makes every failed roll suck and every success roll like a dopamine hit in a way. But I think it's the same kind of like hollow dopamine hit that you get out of like, you know, 
uh, topping the DPS charts in WoW and only ever having fun when you're raiding when you have the highest possible, when you're number one on the DPS or whatever, right? Like, it's, it's, it's unstable and it's very corrosive because as soon as you drop to number two, oh, do you just, like, fucking hate yourself? As soon as you fail that roll, oh, that is just, like, the absolute worst thing. Um, and so, uh, yeah, when you cheat as a player, like, it just makes it kind of like meaningless part of part of it is just about trusting the dm right like you trust your gm not to fuck you over for every failed role right um and part of it is just kind of like trusting the game to be fun even despite failure um where you know yeah if you fail the stealth check and blunder into a bunch of enemies that can still make for a really fun and entertaining encounter and story even if you're not like quote-unquote playing optimally yeah, no, I I, I, I I think I agree with you on that. Um, what about, what about as a DM? As Jim? Um, I think uh, trying too hard to make sure that everyone is... Not necessarily... Not having a good time, because I think you should do that, but, like, trying too hard to make sure that everybody is having the same fun. There are some people who will be at your table just to be, like, doing a social thing with their friends... And they don't necessarily need to be as deeply engaged with everything as your kind of like, you know, star role players are. And it's okay to let them be that way so long as they're having a good time for themselves. Um, yeah. Um, and I, I have definitely fallen into this trap before. Like, I, I, like I've crafted quests around individual players to try and draw them more into the game. They're just kind of like, eh, whatever. Um, and so I think that, I think that that's, that's probably my biggest one. What about you? Uh, I think the biggest one I make is tinkering. You know, like, I always want to, like, outsmart the system and do, like, house rules and stuff like that, uh, which is just not great. I feel... It, I think it actually comes from the fact that I like to tinker with story stuff a lot of the time, and I want to, like, tinker with, with the way that, like, the story mechanics work. But something that I feel kind of bad about is um, uh, an interaction that I had with friend of the cast, Mark at the beginning of Hell's Rebels, where, like, we had just played a campaign where he had kind of taken advantage of a lot of mechanics and made a really powerful character. And to me, I read that powerful character as, like, this is something that requires nerfs. How did the fucking game designers let this in the system? But I think that was a misunderstanding of, like, the nature of... Like, that was me thinking, like, a WoW designer, in a way, where I do think kind of, like you know, equality and equitability between players is important. Uh, but in, in tabletop RPGs where it is so much smaller, I think that you can let a lot of that stuff kind of like get away with it. And I feel like I really like fucked Mark over because I persecuted him for using like the multi-class rules as they were written, which is just like shitty. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I I understand what you. I've mean. apologized yeah. to Mark a bunch of times for that. Actually, like I, I just like every once in a while, I'm just like, oh, ah, oh, that was awful. I never should have done that. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it, it kind of happens. You know, we we all make mistakes, um, and you know, you're you hope that you can le learn and grow from them and do yeah. better next time. Yeah, so. I mean, this is part of why, like, when we've talked about two E. I like the idea of just sort of part of this is also just sort of like trusting the system, right? Like, just trust the system let the let the game designers worry about balance it's not really like up to you as the gm uh to 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 you know find it or or enforce it necessarily yeah no that, that makes that makes sense 
Uh, yeah. So that's all of the questions from uh, from Aaron. Uh, I actually have uh, separately. I've got a. I've got a couple questions from my brother. I've got a handful, so I'm going to do two from him. If that's all right with you, buddy. That sounds good. Um, what game has given you the best social experience? Um, I feel like I've got a good. I feel like I know what your answer is going to be. Yeah, so it's obviously you, World of Warcraft. Yeah, right. Like uh, I, I've, you know, I. This the, I tell this story all the time, I guess. Uh, but uh, I had a really shitty friend group when I first moved to Baltimore. Like when I when I first went to college at Hopkins, like all of my freshman friends were just like extremely drama focused and very catty. Um, there, there were, you know, like there were friends who were great. Shout out to Toby, you're the man. Uh, but like that group, I just like we were constantly, constantly talking about like the drama between everyone and who hates who and who fucked who over and you know just like all this other stuff and at a certain point uh i just realized i was like oh my god this is awful uh so i basically kind of jettisoned that entire friend group and that sucked because then i was extremely lonely i like didn't have any other friends because like all of the time i had put into making friends in freshman year was kind of like worthless um and i ended up making those friends in world of warcraft who are to this day still some of my very best friends which i uh you know love and really appreciate um it is i've always been a big believer that like you know you you don't need to like the the in person interactions or whatever like overrated when it comes to like making friends and keeping up friendships and world of warcraft has just like proved that to me like over and over and over again that you can make really good friends with people who live fucking across the country um so yeah it's that's it that's wow yeah um i think i'm gonna go with league of legends because um uh for for kind of like the inverse reason that, that that you're saying um league of legends has helped me keep touch with a lot of friends that i probably would have otherwise fallen off with um, gaming in general says this, but I think League of Legends is kind of the most emblematic. Um, I've kept in touch with a bunch of people. I kept in touch with you because of this. I kept in touch with, uh, yeah. uh, with, with like people, uh, people, I met new people through, I met, I met our friend Josh through League of Legends. Um, and it's been, uh, kind of, a a, 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 constant way to keep in, even, even when we stopped playing League, I kept in touch with a lot of those people mm -hmm. uh, to play video games with. And so uh, I'm glad that League was able to do that for us because uh, it was a free thing that we could all do without having to worry about, like, financial getting or anything. Yeah, especially because so. we were all – well, not we were all, but, like, I was extremely broke during that time. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it happens, right? Like, you know, uh, especially for the start of it, like, when I was still in school, I wasn't, I wasn't making any money. So uh, it, was, it was an easy thing to, easy thing to do. Um, the next question, uh, what board game has caused such competition that it almost ended in a fight? Um, and I think the answer to this has to be Secret Hitler. Um, I don't know if I, like, I've got a, maybe one other answer, but Secret Hitler is the one that we've probably gotten the most heated about. Well, we've screamed at each other the most about, um, as a friend group. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's been, it's, it's been the one that's... It, but worse than diplomacy, most, though? Because that's so, the other one I'm thinking ooh, of. Yeah. So, it, so And it is very neck and neck. And I'm probably inclined to agree with you that Secret Hitler was worse. So Secret Hitler was kind of the most in the moment. Diplomacy is the one that had the longest lasting effects. Right? Like, um, I don't think you played in this game, but I've had games of diplomacy where someone stabbed me in the back. And I, like, didn't trust them for, the, like, the next three weeks. 
<laughs> you like you like go to you know like the fucking like mini mart. He's like, oh yeah, sure, I'll get your sandwich. And you're like, no, you won't, you fucking <laughs> traitor. <laughs> I mean, but you know, it's like when you can be that cold blooded. It's like, do I, do I need to be watching out for him? Is he just gonna like turn on a dime one day and like fucking like throw me to the wolves? Like that stuff's that, that that's that, that's been like. That, those have probably been the deepest cuts, but Secret Hitler has probably been like the loudest. Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely uh, feel that. I've also definitely had experiences with board games, like some of like the cooperative board games um, that I've played, where it's like, um, you know, you are all working together to some kind of goal, and then you like fuck it up and like wipe the party. That that's when like r- real flame comes out. You know, I'm thinking of like you know like. Arcadia Quest or something. Um, because, like, then you... It's not just that, like, someone beat you. It's like, you know what? Okay, fair enough. Mango beat me at, you know, whatever. Scythe. Whatever. But, like, when we're all fighting the game and the game fucking wins because someone was incompetent. Or not even that they're incompetent. They just, like, rolled bad or something. Like, oh, boy, does that bring out the heat? I feel like, you know, when you're just like, oh, why the fuck did you go there and trigger all those zombies? God damn it. Like, that kind of thing. Yeah. No, I, def- I definitely I definitely feel that. Well, I guess rotating the last, last person on our list with... That we haven't answered any questions from yet is uh, our friend. Uh, he, he gave us his real name this time, so I'm going to say it's our friend Sang, who uh, I actually haven't been able to play uh, with since we've gotten back. Sang's had but... a very tough time in league. He's trying to get to diamonds, uh, and uh, so he's been solo queuing a lot, and it's been real frustrating. So my heart goes out, Sang. I've been there. I know that feel. Keep at it. You're the man. His first question is. Is Spider-Man's semen stickier than the average human's, parentheses, Toby, can he technically swing around with his dick? Now, I want to highlight that in parentheses he put Toby, because Toby Maguire is one of the only Spider-Men who use, who generates web, yeah, who has yeah. bionic web from his, from his wrists. Um, which definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, um, good, good call out there. Uh, yeah. Well, that, that, so that yeah, I, my hat note. is off to your technical knowledge of Spider-Man lore because otherwise this would uh, not make uh, this would not make sense uh, as a question. I will say that I have definitely like read porn where Spider-Man's semen is stickier than the average human. Uh, does that count? I, I feel like it's the only definitive source we have, like, fucking fan fiction. Yeah, but, that, but that's not canon, right? Like, yeah, I guess that's not canon. But, like, I don't know. Like, what else? I, I don't, I don't so, see any other canon indicators, so it's a little bit like, well, you know, so, it would make sense. <laughs> so I, I would say that, like, maybe not because, like, his, his, uh, his, 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 like his his dick isn't a spinneret, right? Like his his wrists are the spinneret. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And like, I don't, I, spiders lay eggs, so it doesn't work exactly the same way. But it's not like spider semen is stickier on average. Yeah. So, okay, you've convinced me. I think the biology of it checks out. In in response to the second half of this question, I actually think the biology also doesn't check out here. I do not think he can technically swing around with his dick. Uh, the reason why is because of uh, the centripetal force that are centrifugal, whichever one, um, force when you're doing those big giant swings. It's actually, like, incredibly straining on your arms. Um, like, if a real person were to do that, they would rip their arms out of their sockets. Socket, yeah. Um, 
just well, the by dick definitely doesn't have that much attachment. Yeah, and so the way Spider Man gets around this is that he's super strong, right? But your dick isn't a muscle. It's not like his dick is super strong. It's not like he has a like a muscle in his penis that like can flex or whatever. So I think it would just snap off. I think it would just snap off. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know if it snap would probably tear off, but you think you? Know. It's like. Hundreds and hundreds of pounds of force. I feel like it's got to snap at some yeah. point, right? Well, I'm 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 talking. I'm saying it would tear off, right? Like I'm I'm just disagreeing with you on like the the kind of verbiage. Like it's not a like unless unless you think Spider Man is aroused when he's swinging around New York. Um, I think I think that's more that's more that's more of a tear, right? Like I think yeah. I think the flesh separates rather than like snaps. Um, but you know that's uh, that's that's more of a, a quibble than anything else. Uh, his next question is, uh, Dear Derps, sometimes my father comes home drunk and hits me and my little brother. My teacher has started to notice bruises on my arms and starting to ask questions. Anyway, what did you think of the second Thor movie? Um, I think it's probably the worst Marvel movie. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I don't think it's the worst Marvel movie. Uh, though I would be a little bit hard-pressed to name uh, like the worst Marvel movie. I think the big thing that sucks about Thor 2 is that it does not adhere to the rest of the Marvel formula, right? So this this is a hypothesis that is admittedly not mine. Someone tweeted this out. I don't remember who it is. It might be like Movie Bob or so just like one of the film people on Twitter. But he essentially made this point, which I think is very correct. Um, and this is in the aftermath of Endgame, kind of talking about why going back to Thor 2 happened in that movie. Spoilers, fuck. Um... The the thing about Thor 2 is that it stands out in comparison to the other Marvel movies. It is not, like, structured like the other Marvel movies is. Um, and it just kind of... So, essentially, you have, like, 21 movies that all look reasonably similar. And then Thor 2 is the most dissimilar movie. Um, and that is the reason that people say that it is the worst one. Um, uh, the worst one, you know... It, it, it is a function of its dissimilarity to the to the group rather than its uh, like its its own quality in and of itself, if that makes sense. And I think that that's actually, by the way, a pretty fair way to say that it is the worst Marvel movie by the by that kind of metrics. But I read that and I was like, that's actually really clever and very on point. I do think that Thor two just kind of like doesn't fit with the rest of the Marvel universe in a way. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I do think it has some really great parts to it, by the way. Uh, I also think that it kind of came out a little bit in, in like a no man's land. Uh, the Marvel movie, the Marvel uni- universe really changed when the Avengers came out. Um, and I think that Thor 2 and Iron Man 3 are both kind of collectively uh, in a little bit of a box because they are structured. Um, or not, not structured, but like they resemble Phase 1 Marvel a little bit more than the Phase 2 Marvel that they were. And so they kind of get like lost in the shuffle in a way. Yeah, so I think I mostly agree with that assessment. Um, I still think that, like, you know, I still think that it's probably still, if you were to stack rank all of the movies, uh, you know, top to bottom, um, I would still say that Thor 2 is probably at the bottom, even if, even if it, it, you know, maybe it's a little bit misjudged because of those things that you're talking about. I still think it's, it's the worst. Yeah, even worse than Iron Man 2? Iron Man 2 is the um, one that gets brought up. Yeah, maybe, but I, 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 I think it's a strong contender at the very least. Um, okay. I don't remember either movie that well, to be honest. Fair enough. Um, um, 
So we've got a couple of questions. Well, so I also have questions which are literally coming in live. Right before we went live, I asked my WoW guild for questions, and they have been putting them in the chat. So let's just do oh, two wait, of- wait, real, real quick because this is relevant. The first question we got actually is from uh, social media manager for the podcast. Zhao. he said, "Please provide." Each of your personal rankings for all of the Marvel movies. Are you prepared for this? Uh, hold on, uh, hold on. I think uh, I, I have might a have letter, this. I have a letterbox account where I sort of think I may have already done this. And yeah, I, I might have done this too. I might. It might be a little bit out of date because I don't think I have Endgame in it. Oh yeah, um, I wouldn't have Endgame or Far From Home. Uh, welcome back, buddy. Nice, 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 nice films. Uh, to do personal, maybe. I uh. It looks like I didn't create any uh, any lists, which is not great. Uh. Do I have? No, I I don't think I have mine either. Um, I don't think we need to do the whole thing. Uh, but I. I think that let's let's do top three, right? Does that make sense? I don't even know. Uh, well, that. maybe maybe we can come back to this one. Yeah. I do want to answer this question, but it's you know going to take th- a, a little bit of time. So we'll probably Let- end up taking a break soon, and that's when we'll 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 make these. Uh, well, yeah, either we'll do that, or if if we if we can't do that, we'll do it at the end. Uh, we'll do it in the end section of episode two hundred one if we don't get to it during this one. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So moving on to your uh, WoW WoW guild. Questions. Okay, so these are my WoW friends. This one comes from my boy Mardalius. Uh, Mardalius is going really hard for for WoW Classic. Shout out to Mard. He asks, "You can add one class to World of Warcraft. What is it and why?" Uh, and then, oh right, uh, actually that'll be the second question. So yeah, so you can add one class to World of Warcraft. What would it be, Mango? Gunslinger. Um, because- <laughs> Interesting. Um, I could probably also just add that as like an extra specialization for rogue, um, but I really like uh, like the the gun guy in the fantasy setting kind of trope, and so that's like the easiest and most immediate answer for me. Cool, um, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, uh, what about you, boy? That this is actually a, like a tough one that I've been thinking about ever since he asked it. Like the easy answer that everybody talks about is like tinker, um, because it's Oof. the class that everybody kind of like sort of wants to be added uh, to the game. Uh, But I'm going to go with a little bit more of a complex answer. I have always wanted there to be racial prestige classes. Um, Some other MMOs have done sort of systems like this, but like where you can get class abilities via your like your race and it kind of makes like the race class combos a little bit more interesting and unique uh this also like for instance the original version of wow had the different priest races all got one unique spell um and uh and so i feel like that is like a really neat idea i like the idea that like i i am a torn warrior and being part Torin, part warrior, I can like level up my Torin-ness a little bit. It's like taking racial levels um, in D&D 3.5, right? Uh, and that that would be a really interesting or neat way to kind of approach things. I don't think it would be good game design, uh, but I would do it anyway. 
<laughs> and then his uh, and then his corollary question, which is the second question, is the inverse. You can remove one class from World of Warcraft. Which is it, and why? Ooh, that's a that's a tough one. Uh, hunter. Hunter, um, really? Why? Uh, it's mostly a meme answer. Uh -huh. Okay. It's because I remember when I first started playing WoW, there were too many hunters, and they always left aspect of the pack on. <laughs> and, all and if you've ever played a hunter, you get you get banned from the game. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I don't I don't know if there's if there's like a great answer here that I can think of. Like mm. everything kind of has this well defined fantasy, right? I guess like maybe Death Knight, and that's not because I don't think it's good, but I think it's the most easily trimmable from the game with like the least amount of problems. Oh yeah, see, I feel that way about Demon Hunters. That was gonna be my yeah. Demon Hunters, Demon Hunters also falls into that trap. Yeah, I you know uh, I actually feel both ways about Death Knight. I'm all cult, so kind of like forever salty that Death Knight is not Necromancer. I would really love to see a, a real true Necromancer class, and I feel like Death Knight has always kind of like occupied that space unjustifiably in a way. Um, but uh, why didn't you answer that for your, the, for the first question? What that would have made a lot more sense if you had said if oh you necromancer. Class, you, you well, because beca if I can combine oh, these the two answers, I would say I remove the death knight and replace it with the necromancer. Okay, right? that makes sense. Uh, but that? like yeah, yeah. in a world where there is already a death knight, I don't think there's enough space for uh, that. Makes a sense. Yeah. Class. yeah, it definitely it definitely fills that space. I buy that. Uh, um, so yeah, so those are two questions from uh, from our boy Mardalius. Yeah. Um, do we want what? What else can we can we pull from? We can do. Uh, Are we time? Is it time to cycle back? I think it might be. Oh, um, well, we've got one question from our friends over at the Minute Podcast sent to us over Twitter, and it is, "What is your favorite minute of 2019?" Um, oh my god. I have a really uh, good answer for this. But it's really all right, dumb. go for it. Okay, Are you, I need to explain. I need to explain how this works. Okay, so I just watched all of the Fast and the Furious movies. There's going to be very <laughs> mild spoilers for the Fast and the Furious movies. One of the pro, one of like the 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 truisms about the Fast and the Furious movies is that like the bad guy in the last movie kind of joins the team in the next one. Um, so, for instance, in Fast 4, Gal Gadot was, like, a lieutenant of the bad guy. In Fast 5, Dom is like, come, come, come fight with me, or whatever, and she, like, joins the team. In Fast 5, uh, Hobbs, who is Dwayne The Rock Johnson, uh, is hunting down the team because they're all criminals. In Fast 6, he recruits them to go after terrorists. This is true. The very first Fast and the Furious movie was about stealing DVD players off the back of trucks, by the way. Um, and then in Fast... Uh, uh, and then in Fast 7, they introduced Shaw, who was Jason... It was Jason Statham is a bad guy. In Fast 8, he joins, he joins, the, he joins the team. Okay. So... One of the one of the other things that is crazy about the Fast and the Furious movies is how far they have come from their like their like roots. Uh, so the first one is about stealing DVD players off the back of trucks. The seventh one is about stopping an international terrorist from getting international terrorist like technology that allows you to hack all phones at all times or whatever and the climax of that movie so the beginning of that movie is shaw shows up and beats up hobbs Dwayne the rock johnson in his los angeles office 
where he is a fucking like CIA agent or whatever. And the thing explodes and he falls off the building and he breaks his arm and the team visit the rock in the hospital and they're like, oh man, this guy's serious fucking business. He, you know, beat up Hobbs or whatever. And so the rock is like in his hospital bed. He has a big cast on his arm and he's like, oh no, oh, I'm so, I'm so like hurt. He's, and then the, the team goes on this big wide ranging thing where they're like fighting terrorists. They go to like Morocco. They go to like uh, Dubai. They go to like Russia. Russia and they're doing all of this stuff and the criminal or i'm sorry and the, the terrorists eventually get the thing the, the like the tracker or whatever and they're gonna come kill the hacker that can beat the tracker who the fast five team has the furious fast and furious like team has so they fly back to los angeles and they're like this is our city we're gonna mount our defense against these crazy powerful terrorists they fight a guy in a car respectable normal a guy in a car uh an attack helicopter Fair enough. They fight an attack helicopter and a predator drone. Okay, that's just a little ridiculous, but all right. So they're fighting this stuff through the streets of Los Angeles, and everything is like getting like blown up or whatever. Like this giant cell tower falls. It's like crashing into buildings. It's like Independence Day, like fucking like city destruction violence. And in the middle of all these like car chases, and it's cars versus helicopter, cars versus predator drone, cars versus cars. The movie cuts. To the hospital room where the rock looks out and he watches like the cell phone tower fall and a big explosion and he's like oh my god the terrorists have come to los angeles and the camera pans down to the cast on his arm and Dwayne the rock johnson flexes and he goes and he like busts out of the cast by flexing his arm really hard. And that moment is the best minute of my 2019. How about you, uh, Mako? I think I think you need to submit that minute to to the minute <laughs> podcast. Because that sounds incredible. It honestly is so good, dude. Oh boy. <laughs> um So I think Man, this this might get spoilery, um, but there's a minute. So I'm I'm just gonna allude to this. Um, there's a minute towards the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that involves a flamethrower, um, and it might be Pinnacle Tarantino. And I think that's my. I, I don't want to say too much more because I don't want to spoil the specifically movie for, at the end of the film, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, okay. end of the film. Um, that whole sequence, I might even say that I think the, the first part of that sequence is better, but it's easier to identify by the flamethrower. So like, like that whole like like the flamethrower, I think is 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 probably the the most iconic part of it. Um, I think is my favorite mo- moment of 2019 so far. Um, if you haven't seen that movie, go see it mm-hmm. um, uh, because it's a crazy movie. But I think that's my favorite moment in, in 2019 so far. Um, as is kind of less involved as that is, but uh, yeah. Um, I think it's time to wrap back around then, right? Yep. Uh, speaking uh, uh, for of people on the Minute Podcast, Paul writes again to say, has 2019 been an objectively good or bad year for gaming? Um, oh, <laughs> it's mixed. It's it's really mixed, right? Like, we've had some really low lights with, with kind of, like, I'm going to say Anthem. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, with with some some of the the microtransaction thing coming stuff coming to a head, 
Um, uh, I think, but it's also had some highlights, right? Like I think that, uh, like I've been playing Remnant from the Ashes, and that's been a lot of fun. I think that Soul Cal- or not Soul Caliber, Devil May Cry Five was kind of like everything I wanted it to be, and I loved it. I think that's a really high point. Um, I think that the Epic Gaming Store is a is a mixed bag, just because. You know, there's some things that are good about it and some things that are terrible about it. Um, I think that we've seen really kind of inventive and great games like Baba Is You. And we've seen kind of, some kind of like really stale and bad things, bad games come out like, uh, oh, I don't know, like, like, uh, I don't, I, like there there have been some some clunkers. Uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head right now. But. Yeah, I mean, I'm having a hard time thinking about like the real clunkers that are on my, like, list. I feel like the clunkers always just, like, fall off the top of my brain, right? Like, I play them, but they're not fun, and they're not great. Um, I feel like if I'm answering a question like this, it's got to be a big thing, you know what I mean? Like, it's not just like, oh, Total War Three Kingdoms was pretty neat, you know what I mean? It's got to be, like, bigger trends than that. And I do feel like some of the microtransaction stuff and, um, and the Epic Store are probably in that bigger category of like, yep, this stuff really affects the the industry. Um, yeah, that's a tough I mean, one. I, I think something like Devil May Cry Five though is is, is a triumph because like, it's it's a thing. You know, people by and large, whether you think it deserved it or not, DMC Devil May Cry was was hated by its fan base and. Uh, Capcom took that feedback and gave gave us Devil May Cry Five, which has been a lot of fun, uh, and it, w- it was exactly what everybody kind of wanted out of it. So, um, I don't know. I think it's been. I, I think. I think. I think you kind of have to split the difference. It hasn't been like a year where everything's been kind of like crazy good, but it's also not a year where everything's been kind of like doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I think I think it got- you know I I'll, I'll actually here here's my here's my pitch I think it has been an objectively good year for gaming and and here's why um, I think indie games are good for the industry and the prevalence of them has only been increasing over time and part of that is just there is a lot of money in indie gaming right uh, the it is if you if you have ever wanted to make an indie game. It is the best time to do so now because people recognize the value of it and they uh, are paying for it, right? You have Apple, you have Sony, you have like the big the big dollar like spenders, Microsoft, right? Like these guys are really willing to shell out to help creators make the best game that they can. Um they got little guys too, like Akapara, right? Yeah, little little babies like Akapara. No, but like this is actually kind of like the point. Like this is almost sort of like yeah. the niche that we fill. We don't actually bring money to situations as a publisher. We bring like expertise and personnel, if that makes sense. A lot of the times, what'll happen is like they just go, "Here's a fucking check for a quarter of a million dollars. Make your game, and it's gonna come out on." the ps4 first six months later you can release it whatever you want kind of thing um and uh and that is a really huge thing that's a really big deal and i think that it's powering uh it's it's a it's it's fuel in the gas tank um to make games better and i would I'm, i'll put my money on that that is the yep. that is the thing that is making games better in 2019 yeah, hey 
Devolver has had their third conference at E3, yeah. like in a in a row, like, and they're like they're all just like indie games. So like you know the the fact that you know a purely indie games publisher can get that large, I think, is evidence that you're absolutely correct. I, I think I think I'll buy 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 that with you. Cool. Um, and then his next question is, why do my teeth hurt? Um, and I'm guessing that you're probably chewing on a rock or something, so maybe stop doing that. Uh, my best recommendation, and this is dead serious because I used to have problems with my teeth hurting, uh, is to buy a special kind of toothpaste called Sensodyne. Um, it's just, you know, it's like a, my dentist recommended it to me. I, like, told him, I was like, yeah, my teeth fucking, like, hurt sometimes. And he was like, you should just get Sensodyne, and I have, and I've just been using it. It's, like, more expensive, but it's, like, fancy, and it absolutely worked to make my teeth not hurt anymore, so... Good job, yes. Sensodyne. You nailed it. So either Hashtag Sensodyne sponsored. or Stop Eating Rocks. Those yeah. are just suggestions for you. <laughs> um, rotating back to Jimmy, uh, which I probably did out of order, but whatever. Um, what gaming feats or gaming moments come to your mind as best, your best moments in gaming? Uh, man, I think every time... Uh, you know what? I think the one I'm going to say that felt the best was beating... The uh, I can't remember what the name of the full name of the encounter is, but the the, the rotunda in Destiny Two, the fir- the base version, mm-hmm. um, that that raid where we we just spent a bunch of time trying to get this jumping through these fucking hoops and like shooting this thing, and we finally got it. That moment of triumph. I feel this a lot with when we whenever we raided in any game, um, or like when we win a very close game of League of Legends. But I think the one in Destiny stands out the most, just because. We played it for a long time, and uh, we almost we almost got it. Um, and it took us a while to get there, and that was with six people. Um, additionally, on there, I think Monik and I beating uh, the uh, the I forget what it's called. The it's like the hidden temple or something. It's it's a dungeon that only shows up once every three weeks, and it's a three man dungeon, and we beat it two man for the first time um, because we didn't have a third player playing with us at that point, and we just kind of like banged our head against it for two hours. Being able to accomplish that with two people first time ever felt really good um so moments like that are, i think are, are are my favorites like yeah no absolutely the, the very best uh the very best feeling i've ever had in a raid environment uh is was defeating professor putricide who is in ice crown citadel um professor putricide is kind of famous in a in a way uh because of how they used to they used to release wow tier like like tiers inside of the raid raid right so like um icc came out but it was just the first three bosses and it was the first three bosses for like three months and then the next three bosses came out and so like each wing essentially had its own like mini uh capstone guy and that was professor putricide for the longest time and my guild was really stuck on professor putricide for like three weeks like a month or something like that and i remember we were i went home for spring break because it was like spring break i couldn't like bum around the um uh hopkins campus and uh and i was in my parents living room as like and I think it was, like, the day I came back because they were really trying to have a conversation. They were like, oh, we're so excited to see you back or whatever. And I was just, like, sitting there with my, like, headset on, like, talking to my people, t- talking to my, like, raid group. I was like, no, guys, like, I'm here. Let's let's fucking do this or whatever. Um, Professor Putricide was insanely hard. And, uh, and something that was weird about him was he would put the off tank who was me at the time in this like big zombie body and you had to do zombie stuff or whatever. And, uh, 
And so we were going through the fight and we hit like essentially the enraged portion where he becomes immune to taunt and he just does like insane amounts of damage. And he was like less than 1%, right? He was barely, he was so close to being dead. And what I did was I dropped out of the zombie body and I used the warrior spell intercept, which says, you know, like you dash to a target or, um, like you dash to a target and you take the next attack that that target would take. And so I did that to the, the tank, like the main tank as professor putricide is like lumbering forward to like just one shot this dude. I dash to him. I soak the damage he gets the killing blow on Putricide before Putricide has another auto attack. And then we defeated the and so we defeated that encounter. It was like it was like the combination of everything. It was something that we had been working on insanely hard, trying to get there, right? Um it was a down to the buzzer, you know, like fight where we were about to lose and we just barely won. And I was the guy who sort of made the winning shot. Right? By, like, soaking the damage so that the tank could get his, like, spell off or whatever. So, that's probably the, the height of my gaming career. It will never be bested. Fair enough. Um, and then, uh, his next question is, books you've recently read that you can recommend? Um, the only <laughs> book, the only book that I've really recently read, um, pretty fully is, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Which is a classic from like I think it's like the 1920s was when it was first published, and uh, a lot of the stuff in there is fairly obvious, but it's a good read. It's a good it's a good thing to apply when you're trying to like deal with people and understand them. So um, it's it's it like like when you read it, you'll see like every salesman like trying to like implement this these techniques to you to like get you to buy stuff. Um, but if you kind of read it like with an eye for like somebody earnestly trying to teach you how to be like a better communicator and like a better person, then it feels a lot less cynical. Um, and uh, I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's an easy read. It's a decent read. Um, I found it to be interesting at least. So, you know, that's, that's my recommendation is how to win friends, and, win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. God, I haven't fucking read like a book in a long, I mean, I guess I've been reading these like Pathfinder books and stuff like that. Uh, I'm gonna go with the book Secret Six, which is a comic book uh, that I've been reading on the DC Universe app because I have that. Uh, Secret Six is uh, is the story of six supervillains who join up and kind of become like a mercenary team. So like Deadshot uh, is on there. A bunch of people that Deadshot's like the famous one. Bane is on there for a while. Um, and they just they fight. And it's written by Gail Simone, who's a really talented writer, um, and it's just been very engaging and really well done. And it is, I I highly I highly recommend it. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's uh, I think that's the best we're gonna do for that. Yeah, fair enough. Um, next, I guess we'll rotate to uh, my brother again. Let me bring that up. Uh. Unless, uh, yeah, let's, let's, come on. Come on, phone, do the thing you're supposed to do. Um, what a bad boy, that uh, phone. Uh, yeah, so he's got three left, so we're just gonna finish them out. Okay. Um, what's a loved movie that you couldn't connect to at all? Um, which I think is a great question. Uh, you, you have a particular answer off the top of your head? A loved, isn't a loved movie a connection that I did connect to? 
no, no, uh, no, no, so I, I, so I, I think what, what the sense that I get is a uh, a movie that's generally loved, right? Like the cultural. Oh, really oh, like a like a beloved movie that you just mm. can't get into for whatever yes. reason. Um, my answer is Inception, um, which everybody really loves, and I think it's very oh, stupid. God. You get so um, mad, yeah. But it's just like, see, that's like a minor, a minor plot thing. Like, I agree that that oh, well, it's minor, not a plot minor plot thing. It's kind of the whole. It's like the. It's it's one of the the bases for like how like the when the universe doesn't follow the rules that it establishes. I can't like I can't get into it, right? Like, I mean, I you know I guess or whatever. Uh, I feel like I feel like I don't know. <laughs> I I agree with the point in general. In the sense that, like, I think that that is a true thing. I just think it deducts like one point, not like fifty. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the whole, it's the whole like fucking like center point of the movie. Man, what is a beloved movie that? Uh, oh, you know, what? a good answer for this one is Lady Bird. Uh, I talked about this. Lady Bird is a very good movie, and it's a movie that I, you know, like I understood, and I was sitting there in the theater and I was watching it, but I w- was not moved. If that makes sense. Um, because the stakes were too low. And I couldn't, like... And, and, you know, and there's something to be said for other movies that, like, skirt that boundary. Moonlight is a very good example of, like, a movie that, like... Its stakes were extremely low. Uh, but the quality of the acting and the quality of the cinematography really got me there. Um, Lady Bird, because it was so much about the character drama. And I just, like, had no ability to get invested in the character drama of, like you know snotty californian teenagers in just after the millennium um even if i like i intimately understood and was aware of like her and where she was um i just couldn't uh i just like couldn't actually like connect to that even though i think it's a lot of it was a lot of people's favorite movie of that year like 2017 yeah yeah um i think i could throw call me by your name on that pile too uh yeah, I mean, we, call, we, we, call me by your name. Also had the vistas, which I, you know, like at least it yeah. was shooting in like the beautiful Italian countryside. Fair uh, enough. <laughs> uh, we talked about that movie though. We talked yeah, about that movie yeah. a lot. Yeah, um, yeah, we did. <laughs> the fucking peach. Um, <laughs> I actually forgot about the peach until you remind me. Woo, the peach. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck, dude? <laughs> All right. Oh god. All right, so uh, the next one is th- these next two kind of wrapped together. They're both fuck, Mary kill, um, and the first one is bear, shark, mountain lion. Um, so I think I'm going to fuck the bear, uh, marry the shark, and kill the mountain lion. Uh, uh, okay, you- you've heard of this game before. Fuck, Mary kill. No, right? obviously, I'm just bewildered by your choices. They're so wrong. Obviously, you marry the bear, you fuck the mountain lion, and kill the shark, dude. You're gonna marry a a, a shark? Yeah, what? because it's e- so so. Maybe maybe this is cheating, but the shark, you know, I can. Like, Are you a mermaid? It's not, it's, not, it's not gonna be a happy marriage, regardless of which one I marry, right? So the shark, I can at least get away from, and they can't come after me, right? I can just stand in the middle of the land, and the shark can be in the water. I can be like, "Fuck you, shark wife." I, you clearly do not see the upsides of having a, a, a ravenous, carnivorous animal at your beck and call because you are married to them. 
Think about any like fucking like. Could you imagine like your boss? Are, are you suggesting you that if just... I was married, if I was married to someone, that I would own them, buddy? No, it's not about <laughs> owning. It's just about like the fact that you have. I marriage is a partnership, Mango, and I would much rather be partners with a bear than alone with my partner out in the fucking ocean. If you and I were to fight, I would win. There's a bear on my side. Do you know what I mean? You know what? Uh, so I, I, I think I think we're I think we're assuming things about the the the, uh, the nature of the marriage um, that are not universal across both of our understandings, right? I'm assuming that we're both forced into it and kind of magically bound to abide by it, even though we, neither of us really wants to be there. In which case, the shark makes the most. No, sense. Uh, no, I no that that bear loves me and I love right. her. Okay, seriously, uh, that's 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 it. That's the answer, I guess. <laughs> Under under those under those conditions, I might still pick the shark. Like assuming the shark is capable of love, I like the ocean. So you know, there's that. Um, there's also something but, a little bit poetic, you know. Star-crossed uh, lovers, you can never be like, oh, she's aquatic. I'm yeah. a land animal. We can we, we can we can <laughs> every time for, every time for as as I, I we try and hang out, all of the beachgoers go ah, fucking shark. <laughs> <laughs> Moonlight trysts in the harbor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, although oh. apparently neither of us have strong opinions on the mountain lion. Yeah, I mean, you um, know, I, I feel just feel like you fuck the mountain lion, get it out of the way. The bear yeah, I, is the ba- is the best one to marry because bears are better than sharks and mountain lions, and the shark is the best one to kill because I just think it's cooler to kill a shark than to kill a mountain lion. If I were to tell somebody, oh yeah, I fucking killed a shark, I think that'd get me farther than if I was like, I I killed a mountain lion. Yeah, I think I buy that, but uh, <laughs> my decision. Fair enough. Um, and the second fuck Mary kill is uh, French toast, waffle, pancakes. Um. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'd kill the shit out of French toast. I just brutally murder French toast. I take French toast into the alley behind the bar, and it's blubbering. No, don't, don't kill me, buddy. And I'm just like, sorry. Bam, bam. And they, they fucking absolutely French toast dies. I probably fuck the pancake and maybe marry the waffle. I'm not really sure uh, how good a waffle is in bed. Um, I feel like a... <laughs> I feel like I feel like a pancake is more eminently fuckable than a waffle is. Um, All right, yeah. So I, I'm taking this as kind of like the 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 allegorical fuck Mary kill rather than like the literal because I don't know. Uh, I feel like I feel like actually fucking French toast might be the best because it's it, it's got like the, the oh it's like gooeyest yeah it's got like yeah lube. yeah mm, I get that. Um, but for like metaphorical, I think I think I still fuck the French toast because like. I think pancakes and waffles are similar enough that if I, like, have to, like, metaphorically kill one and never deal with it again and then marry one and have that for the rest of my life, I think I'd kill the waffle and then, like, marry the pancakes because you can make really nice, fluffy uh, pancakes, which I like. Boy, that's an interesting way to frame it. Though I think I, my, my answer is still the same. I think I, on balance, prefer waffles to, to pancakes. Yeah, I, I do I do like French toast occasionally, so. Yeah, it also sort of, it also sort of depends a little bit on, like, maybe I would marry the pancake if the pancake is like crepe inclusive because i really like i don't like big fluffy pancakes that much i could live without those i'd rather have waffles but over both of those and waffles i would much rather have crepes so if fucking pancake or i'm sorry if marrying pancakes is 
code for marrying Krebs. I'm marrying the Krebs, yeah, for sure. That that makes sense. I I, I feel that French toast is that. really getting done dirty. I don't really know why I like brutally murdered it in the alley behind the bar, but it just like felt so right as soon as as soon as I uh, as soon as I heard the question. I think so. I think part of it is it's really easy to make bad French toast, um, and like and have it just be kind of very mediocre, kind of like scrambled eggs, not quite properly integrated to to bread. Um, but I think really good French toast is is, is perfection. Yeah, so. I mean, see, I think part of this is also a little bit like my dad lived in France, and so like that's why I probably have a higher perception of like crepes than I would of French toast. Well, I mean, that doesn't follow. I don't think of French toast as being very French. We didn't have French toast a lot at my fucking house, but we had crepes all the time, you know. So, like, when I'm thinking about, like, which of these is the best, part of that is just kind of, like, the culture of my house growing up. That's, that is, that is fair enough, I guess. I Excuse me, I have to say. Um, uh, so that takes care of all the questions from my brother Greg, who has been on the podcast. Thank you so much, Greg, for your questions. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess we rotate to Sang again, um, who sent his questions in a fucking Google Doc. You, the um, only person who did this. <laughs> but I really uh, appreciate all of your questions. Uh, yeah, I do too. But uh, it's, it's in a different tab for me. Um, you two have been doing this for a long time. Almost for years, in fact. Uh, how did you two first meet? Well, uh, this, is, this is interesting because there's the, the first part where, like, you lived down the hall from me freshman year. And we just kind of like would see each other. And My like, girlfriend at the time lived down the hall, technically. Yeah, well, because I lived in Wilmington, I lived, and she lived. Yeah, in... I lived. I lived between you and your girlfriend. Right. Um, yeah. 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 Um, and like we would just see you down the hall. I think I've told you this, but we used to call you Caveman, uh, Caveman Matt, because our friend Matt um, was was also on the hall, but he was like shorter. Um, and he had a more neatly trimmed beard than you did. And we'd look down the hall, and he, he looks kind of like you. He's like a white dude. Mm-hmm. And so we look down the hall, we see this kind of like very tall, like caveman esque looking version of Matt. And we'd be like, oh, I guess that's Caveman Matt because we don't really know who he is. Yeah, and we used um, to call Matt Fake Buddy because uh, he looked like me. And I, so, was, we were we were we were like do- doppelgangers. <laughs> um, yeah, um, but I think the first time we really hung out was. Uh, Friend of the cast, Aaron, who sent in some questions, um, brought me to play Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay with you and your girlfriend at the time, and uh, uh, notorious enemies Matt and uh, other Megan. Yeah. Uh, oh, not Matt. Not uh, Matt. Was it? Oh, Will, Will. 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 Yeah. Will. Um, and that was our our, our first. Uh, it was the beginning of a beautiful friendship. I got to tell you. <laughs> The thing that surprised me the most about you is because we had conception of you as like as a caveman, I expected your voice to be about like two octaves deeper than it was. Yeah, you're like, enough. hey guys, I'm Buddy. I was like, oh, that that's that, that like, just like it surprised me. But uh, you know, it was uh, it, it, the game was a good time, and uh, you know, Aaron, playing with Aaron was was a lot of fun too. So. Were you there when Aaron like one v one the uh, like this? Centaur chieftain, like the beastman, or the I'm th- I think the centaur or something like that. Right, like he had a really, really, really awesome moment in that campaign where uh, his character fought like the leader of a beastman tribe in single combat and like barely won because of how like like insane the wound system is for uh, for Warhammer Fantasy. All combat is like insanely lethal, and uh, that that was honestly one of the coolest like tabletop moments I've ever been a part of. Yeah. Um... 
Yeah, I, I, uh, I think you're. I, I, I don't know if I, I was there for that. I either had it told. It was either the session before I joined or the session that I joined. Um, because either having in front of me or somebody told or you guys told me about it excitedly mm-hmm. while I was like rolling up my character. Uh, so, and that was the first time I actually ever really played a tabletop game. Um, we had tried in high school and just kind of failed. Um, but that was like my first real experience with uh, with a tabletop game. And you know, I've been doing it for the past, I guess, like almost te- or over ten years now. So you know, thanks, buddy. You're welcome. Um, yeah. Um, and uh, the next one is. What is your favorite video game of all time, top three if need be, and what is a video game that you think everyone needs to play as a corollary to that? Um, I think we both, we've both answered this question before, but... Uh, yeah, my favorite video game of all time is definitely Mass Effect 2. It has remained Mass Effect 2 over, uh, over the years. I'm really puzzled and interested by the second question. What is a game uh, you think everyone needs to play? Yeah, so I'm, I'm gonna. So my favorite game of all time is Bastion, um, just because it's it's Bastion. Uh, it's beautifully well directed. It's uh, it's got it's got the best. Um, what's the word for? Uh, it's got the best like. There's a French word for it that I can't remember, but it's uh, uh, mise en scène. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. Um, uh, basically, part of the it's, it, the uh, ruckus. I think that's his name. Talking over. The game as you play it, I think it's just a beautiful masterstroke that really solidified the game as the first one to really kind of blend those elements really well. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of games that everyone needs to play, um, that's tough. Um, oh, you know what? I got a good one. Um, a game that I think everybody needs to play is, is Democracy 3, um, or if there's a more current version of the game. Uh, democracy democracy 3 is a like very true to life simulator like political simulator where like you need to win you know like literal 300 house votes or whatever like pass your stuff right um and it's like a fun game and everything but uh but i actually think that it was very formative in my understanding of politics to play democracy 3 when i did um just because it helped me understand the concept of political capital and like the practical realities of politics as they exist, right? Um, and you know, like you earn political capital and you spend it on stuff, and when you're low on political capital, you can't do as much stuff, right? Like all that, all that kind of stuff. I feel like people would be, I think. If everyone played this game and had a more intricate understanding of the political system and how it works and uh, and l- viewed it less through kind of like idealistic ideological lenses, right, where, you know, as soon as my guy, wh- whoever he is, gets elected, he does all of these things for free easily, right, um, I think that would I, that, that would be a much better version of the world. So, yeah, yep, that's the game I think everyone needs to play. Um, I'm going to go to a much more game-focused version, and I think I'm going to go with Return of the Oberdin, um, just because it is kind of a master class in creative storytelling uh, that I haven't seen anywhere else, and it's accomplished with such such a, a low, like a, a, a unique style, um, and it's it's kind of the pinnacle of the genre. And it's really an example of if you have the right 
uh, idea, you can do something really incredible with a with a small set of tools and budget. Um, I think Lucas Pope is one of the best game designers we have in the modern age, uh, and so I look forward to everything he does. Um, the, his other notable title being Papers, Please, which is also excellent. Um, uh, so uh, I'm going to go with 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 Return of the Oberdin. Uh, it's kind of a it's it's a, a a fairly transcendent experience that I think everybody should experience, including you, buddy. I don't think you ever played it. I did never. I did not ever play it. That's, that is correct. Um, but yeah. Um, so that's that's two questions from Sang. Would you want to pull two more questions from uh, from the guild? Okay, two more questions from the guild. This one comes from my boy Wander, who's amazing. Uh, Wander asks, which is worse, Ligma or Sugma? <laughs> Man, I think I'm going to say Sugma. Suck my balls, Mango! <laughs> well, that's really? the question, Really? You think Sugma, right? well, Sugma is worse? Sugma, uh, sugging my balls rather than ligging my balls? Lig, mm. A lig can be momentary and brief, whereas a sug requires you to insert the entire sack into your mouth and make emotions. So I think that that's worse than. Yeah, for, than I don't know why, punch. but for some reason, I think it's more degrading to have to like lick someone's balls than suck them. It's a, it's a little bit like you know like the, it's like the same kind of degradation that comes with like kissing a foot. Do you know what I mean? Like like there's something about like the humiliating, but it's like a little bit contrasted because it's like not. It's not like you're like I don't know. I don't, I don't really know how. That's just like my gut feeling, and I don't know where that really like comes from. Um, I, 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 I don't know if I agree, but I buy the argument that it is like that the the kind of the the lick like has the disdain built into it more than the sug does. Yo, so. though I will say that uh, I, you know, in another interpretation of the question, which is where it's ligma or sugma, uh, I think sugma is worse because it's more obvious. So if you fail the test where you say, uh, you know, what's ligma? What is, what is ligma? What is Sugma? I think I'm more forgiving of someone who falls for what is Ligma than someone who falls for what is Sugma because Sugma See, feels I, more obvious. But I think Ligma is more 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 known. I think it's the more standard version. That's probably true. That is probably true. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it it might be a reflection on like your knowledge of memeology and yeah. uh, and if you're not a dank meme lord, you're probably worthy of some contempt right there. Yep. I, I think that's a good question, though. And that is uh, a really good question. Wander, you're the man. Wander has another question, which he titles A Real Question. What was, in your opinion, the best beneficial divergence by an actor from their original screenplay material? Do you have an answer for this one? Uh, of course I do. It's, really? I, I know. <laughs> from Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. Oh! Oh, right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's uh, obviously I, famous. Sure. Yeah. Um... Um, that or Indiana Jones, it's, it's Harrison Ford, but it's Indiana Jones shooting, shooting the dude doing the sword dance. Right. Um, which I think is also a brilliant move, uh, hearing about it. But, uh, I mean, in one of the first uses of like bathos in modern, modern media, I think it's, I think that's a great moment too. Um, oh, this is, I know I'm going three, three for three from now, but apparently, um, Rutger Hauer came up with most of Tears in the Rain mm. uh, on his own. Um, and I love that speech. Just so why don't you just take high... all of the fucking answers? Mango! I will. <laughs> I'm going to take all of them. If, like, the, the Tears in Rain speech is, like, probably my second favorite quote behind the Matrix one that I quoted before. So, yeah. 
Final answer, Rutger Hauer. You go, buddy. Um. Well, I was gonna say Rucker Hauer, but uh, oh, sorry. I am now going to try and find. I'm sorry, uh, buddy. A better. I did take all the answers for myself. You Um, know, I think this might be in the movie, or I think this might be in the screenplay, but I think it wasn't in the screenplay, and it definitely wasn't in the screenplay in the way that it was. The the moment, are you not entertained? From Maximus in Gladiator. Um, Gladiator is one of those unsung movies that I think is actually like really, really awesome and really amazing, but doesn't get like its due for some weird reason. Um, and one of the interesting things about it is I read the script later in life, and there are a ton of deviations from the script that that movie makes. Uh, and in almost all of them, I think that they're really like spot on clever choices made by uh, Ridley Scott, the director. Like for instance, in the original version, the, the original version has a happy ending where, um, Gla- uh, where Maximus becomes emperor. Yeah. Yeah. Where Maximus becomes emperor by killing Commodus and uh, marrying like his sister or whatever, or, you know, like in this kind of like historical Whatever, but that's not what happens in the movie. In the in the movie, Maximus kills Commodus but bleeds out and dies, uh, which is its own happy ending. Maximus gets to be reunited with his, you know, his his wife and daughter that were burned uh, in Spain. But um, I'm pretty sure I I'm pretty sure he that is an improvised line. Maybe not improvised, but it was not in the screenplay. Um, and I also think that uh, that even if it is in the screenplay, it was. That's not the killer line it became. Do you know what I mean? Right? Like, that was a line that got, like, memed. And I think it got memed because of something very, like, legitimate and genuine about the way Russell Crowe had that performance of kind of, like, Maximus, right? Um, and uh, so, yeah. So, that's what I'll go with. That's that's my that's my answer. Because you stole Rutger Hauer out from under me, you piece of garbage. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Rutger Hauer is pretty good, though. Yeah. R.I.P. in peace, uh, Rucker Howard. He just died. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I forgot about that. Yeah. He's apparently in a video game. Uh, it's called, like, Outsider? I think. Observer. That's the name of it. Um, that's on my playlist. Um, uh, so I guess we're rotating back around to Jimmy, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, what element tactic of League of Legends do you miss most from the good old days? Oof. Uh, I mean, I've talked about this a bunch before, but the answer for me has got to be the... Uh, uh, the the inability like off builds being kind of decanonized pretty pretty aggressively, um, but that's just me. Uh, what about you, buddy? I think I don't like. Ah, man, this is tough. I want to say RNG Dragon. Ooh. Uh, yeah. But I really don't know how I feel about it. So the, to to explain this, we actually did a whole cast on this way 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 long ago. Back in the day. Um. The change that they made in League of Legends was in uh, the dragons that spawned were progressive, right? Each team had a certain dragon count. When you killed the dragon, you got a little bit of gold for the team or whatever. It's like 500 gold for the team, which isn't huge, but, you know, it's pretty, you know, it's decent. You could get gold leads out of it. But the more important thing is that it would give you a flat bonus, right? So the first one was extra attack and AP. Um... The second one was maybe damage to objectives. Third I mean, one was move it was speed. Just gold. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, originally, originally it was just gold, and then the, the the but then they changed it to this, which is like the progressive system. Third one was move speed. Fourth one, I think, was what is currently Ocean Drake, and then the fifth one would give you what is now considered the Elder buff, right? Like if you activate, if you got five dragons, that would give you a temporary buff where you would do like crazy team fight damage, essentially. Um, they changed this for the current iteration of dragons, which they call Elemental Drakes, right? Which spawn randomly, right? It'll be a Cloud Drake and then uh, an Ocean Drake and then another Cloud Drake or whatever. You can stack them up to three. Um, and the bonuses are a little bit bigger and better because you don't get... They're like, they're not... <sighs> They're not, uh, like, kind of incrementalized. Um, and uh, and not only that, but you're not, guaranteed, you're not guaranteed to get any of them. There's five of the elemental drakes that spawn total, whereas theoretically the, the regular dragons spawned infinitely. At a certain point, you start getting elder drakes in, in current law. Yeah, 35 minutes into the game, you start getting elder dragons, which give you crazy teamfight capabilities, uh, but don't contribute to, like, any of the other, like, you know, passive dragon effects. You know, honestly, now that I've kind of explained it out, I'm beginning to remember why I, I originally liked the elemental dragons, and I'm, like, taking back my answer. I think, actually, the elemental dragons are probably better, specifically because of, like, the comeback potential, right? Like, even if you've been losing dragons all game, being able to, like, snag an elder and get that team fight buff and bring yourself back into the game, I think, is very powerful. And um, and I think the, the having the passive effects be randomized game to game means they are less of, a, like, a foregone conclusion. Um, whereas in other games with dragon, uh, with, like, the progressive dragon, um, those attack buffs, those, you know, uh, the, the, the health buffs or whatever, they're, like, much more baked into the system. Um, so you can never, like, really make, like, active choices about how, you know, like, in a world where I get three cloud drakes in a game... I might be much more comfortable selling my boots to pull up a different final item because I'm already going to have a bunch of extra move speed. Um, whereas if I get three ocean, you know, like if I get two earth drakes, I'm like, oh my God, we need to do Baron because we just shred Baron and do it really fast now. Do you know what I mean? Um, so I guess I'm taking back my answer. I think the elemental drakes are better, uh, which means I need to answer something different. Uh, fucking nerfing Yasuo a whole bunch. I think Emax on Yasuo is much better than Qmax on Yasuo, and uh, they nerfed Emax essentially into the ground. Um, I actually don't mind that uh, that they did it, uh, but I do mind because like. <sighs> I like I get I get why they did it, but I do mind in the sense of like it was much more fun to do the Emax build than the the Qmax build because you have much more mobility much earlier into the game. Um, pe you know the the E doesn't really have a cooldown the cool but it does scale down a little bit. It goes from 0.5 seconds to 0.1 second, and so having a 0.1 second cooldown between the different minions or whatever at level 9 rather than at level 13 was actually really beneficial and I kind of miss those days even if I think ultimately it was probably the right choice okay you know I, I, I buy that I get that no one loves ever loves to see their favorite champion get get hurt yeah uh, all right um and then his next question is what is the weirdest food you've ever eaten uh you have, do you have a good answer for this? Uh, I've eaten a lot of weird foods. Um, I feel like a lot of... I, th I actually think that culinarily, as like a people, we have gotten much better at eating weird stuff. 
Uh, I've had Rocky Mountain Oysters. I've had Bull Balls. Um, I've had Gator. I've had Octopus. I actually used to eat Octopus quite a lot in Japan because they they were uh, like Octopus Balls are just fucking like tasty, and they were like all around in um, in Japan. I've had Kangaroo. Um, boy, that's a good question. I like. I feel like I just have too many fucking answers. Yeah, I really like octopus and squid, so I've I've had a bunch of that. Um, I had cricket chocolate once, but I don't like it. It was barely present, so I don't know if it really counts. Ooh, have um, I ever eaten bug stuff? You know, I don't think I've ever eaten any bugs. Uh, I've eaten honey, which is bee ass drippings. Uh, not quite true, but. Uh, Hmm. Yeah. I feel just like fucking any of those ones, like take your pick. I actually kind of like uh I think Gator might be the the most exotic of all of those. Actually that's not true. Maybe kangaroo is the most exotic. I was gonna say like gator like gator it doesn't taste I've had gator too, it doesn't taste that exotic, right? Like it's No, yeah, it definitely does. I'm just trying to think of like what yeah. is definitionally the most exotic. I think probably kangaroo is on the whole it's, you know, it's from a whole nother continent, right? Like Yeah. Um I ever anything like super weird in Asia? Uh, nothing I can. I, I I went to Seoul once and had some had some traditional Korean food, but nothing that stood out as being particularly strange. Um, like I had like a whole baked fish at some point, but you know that's just like a fish. Not a fan of it, but um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I feel I like I, I think this is a big part of it is it's hard to have things that are truly weird because we're such a global society at this point, right? Yeah. Like, I love Thai food. I love Indian food. I love uh, Austrian food, right? And these are all things that like are various amounts of common in America, but like you know, thirty years ago, it'd be like Thai food. That's exotic, right? Like mm-hmm. like pho. Pho is probably the the uh, uh, the most exotic thing I've had just because it has a bunch of weird meat in it, right? Like, if you get, like, the the, 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 the all-meat version, and I've done that. Uh, I think it's got some organ meat in it, but, mm-hmm. you know, that's probably it. Yeah, I've definitely had, like, weird organ stuff because I've had, like, like liver, you know, mm. and, uh, like, gizzards and shit. Yeah, okay, fair well, enough. Uh, and so I'll move on to Paul's next two questions, which are, if you want to play only one game released in 2019 for the rest of 2019, what would it be? Uh, which uh, I think is pretty tough, just because... Uh, you know what? I'm going to say Samurai Showdown. Um, I haven't played a ton of it lately, but that game's a lot of fun, and if uh, I could only play it, I'd get really good at it. And so I want to do that. Samurai Showdown's definitely my answer. Boy, that is a tough one, just because like, I feel like all the games that I've been playing... A lot of haven't been released in 2019. Uh, Total War Three Kingdoms was released in 2019. Uh, yes, is probably probably the best answer. Okay, that yeah. I that I have just because like almost by default, right? Like because I've just been playing uh, so much stuff that that hasn't otherwise been. Man, Imperator Rome. Fuck, that would have been a great answer if it was good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, uh, yeah. Maybe, I have, we haven't gone back to it, but it got a patch. Maybe it's good now. Was Magic, know. uh, was Magic released in 2018 or 2018? I think the Arena was first released in 2018. Okay. Um, that would have been probably an easy answer otherwise. Yeah. 
Um, and then uh, his next question is uh, related to uh, Jimmy's last question. Wait, no, I'm lying. Before. It would be fucking Anthem. Anthem was released in 2019. And I think it has yeah, more but... longevity than Total War Three Kingdoms does. So Anthem would uh, be my answer. I, I don't think it's going to be good by the end of 2019. So I think that's your loss. Uh... uh Especially given that the last release was super anemic. It's mostly, it's just mostly that it is a game built for more, you know, Total War Three Kingdoms is you play it and then it dissipates, essentially. Yeah, but you only have to play this until the end of 2019, so. That's still, uh, it's four months. I was going to say six months, but four months, yeah. Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, they already released yeah. a little bit of DLC for uh, for uh, Three Kingdoms, so that's something. Yep. Um... And then, uh, best thing you ate in 2019. Boy. Um, best thing I ate in 2019. See, this is tough because I eat so much. Like, <laughs> I eat a lot of stuff and then I eat it again. I don't really like, yeah. you know what I mean? Anytime I find something good, I want to eat it a lot. Um... Rather than, like, you know, just find, a, like, ooh, a specific special meal that I think... Oh, you know what? Okay, here's the best thing I, I've eaten in 2019. Um, because, and certain friends of the cast will understand, my lifelong hunt, and I mean that, lifelong hunt, for a replacement for the Southwest Chicken. I've been having po' boys because of, like... A long block, but like a block from my house, a big avenue block. Um, a po' boy place opened up, and they do chicken tender po' boys. And they are not nearly as good as a Southwest chicken was. But it is the closest that I have gotten, and it is a discovery I have made unique to 2019, even though I get it all the fucking time now, because it's just like delicious. So that would be my answer. The chicken tender po' boys from I think it's called like Orleans and York or something, um, a mile from my fucking house. Uh, that makes that makes a, a lot of sense. Um, I am scrolling because I've got a toss up. Um, I had uh, the first thing is it, it, back in the spring, I had a uh, I had a really good piece of key lime pie in the Florida Keys. And I love key lime pie, uh, like real key lime pie. So that was excellent. Um, I can't remember. I can see the place in my head, but I can't remember the name of it. Um, uh, but it's uh, – yeah, I had a bunch of key lime pie while I was down there, and I don't think any of it was bad. So I would recommend getting key lime pie in the keys if you're there. Um, and then the other thing I had, which, I, which was uh, – a new experience that was great is uh, at Lombang Case in Montreal. I had poutine um, for the first time, really, um, and it was really, really good. So I'm, I'm going to give it to Lombang Case. Uh, I think um, you can it's, you can go to Montreal and get it yourself. It's it's really good. Yeah, fair um, enough. Uh, uh, it also confirmed for me that that poutine and disco fries are like kissing cousins. I'm convinced that. What happened? The reason the way that disco fries were disco fries are a, a Jersey thing. Have you ever had disco fries, buddy? Uh, I probably not. Maybe maybe I have. I don't know off the top of my head. They're just what French fries with 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 brown gravy and mozzarella cheese. Oh well, um, I'm, I do I'm not like that. <laughs> I am convinced that 
some Canadian was in like New York, New Jersey, and was like, I would like poutine. And the diner owner was like, well, I don't have curds, but I've got mozzarella cheese. And that's how it would just go fries were born. Um, uh, but that's two from Paul. So rotating on to Sang. Uh, do, hit us uh, with the hard-hitting questions, Sang. At what age do you think you lose it if you don't use it? AJ, nothing but a number. Next question. I think I agree with that. <laughs> Uh, hey derps, I've been working out now for over two years and I've hit some plateaus. I seem to be stuck at benching 185 for four months now. What accessory or what accessory or exercise tips can you recommend, uh, for, for me to finally hit two plates? Okay. So I watched a movie called free solo. Have you heard of this movie mango? Uh, no, I haven't. Actually. Free solo is about, um, uh, a mountain climber who, uh, and, and free solo mountain climbing is when you climb a mountain without a rope. So you fall, you die. Um, and free solo is the story of basically the best mountain climber in the world scaling a very famous mountain, El Capitan, in Yosemite uh, for the first time free solo without, without, without a rope. Uh, that dude did this thing called hangboards where he would hang from his fingers off of a board. And that seemed like a good exercise. I highly recommend it, saying, listen to my advice. I'm very much fitness. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I watched this anime called One Punch Man, and <laughs> apparently he became really strong by doing uh, 100 sit-ups, 100 push-ups, 100 squats, and running 10 kilometers every day. So do that. Um... That's that's my recommendation. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, I guess that rotates to the uh, the guild. What's the, what's the guild got? Okay, for us? the 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 next set of questions from the guild um, are uh, from Lou, friend friend of the cast, who asks biggest game slash movie disappointment this year. Boy, Anthem. Anthem's got to be it. For you specifically, or like for I wanted Anthem to be good. I like, like looter the, shooters, the buddy. Community. No, right, right. I'm just trying to think. Hmm. Fuck! What movies did we see this year? Hellboy is the this is a movie. Oh movie, yeah, Hellboy. Movie. Boy, that one really was a stinker, huh? That sucks. I like Hellboy. I like David Harbour. I like Ian McShane. Yeah, Hellboy's Hellboy's a really good one. I don't really have a great one when it comes to uh, when it comes to well, games. It, I guess. What, what, what was what were what were the categories again? Sorry, I biggest game I, slash movie disappointment this year. Okay, uh, that, that easily crops out uh, uh, Game of Thrones, which is the uh, oh yeah, that would have been uh, really the good big fucking that yeah. would have been a really good answer <laughs> otherwise. Yeah, right, I don't well, know. I've had a really good experience with games this year, apparently. Holy shit. I'm just, like, yeah. thinking back to... Oh, Imperial Rome, obviously. Oh, uh, yeah, that's, that, good, that's like, a good 100%. One uh, that was the game that I was really looking forward to. And uh, and it was just not spectacular. Yep. I'm going to throw another movie on there, which is Blinded by the Light. Um, which is apparently getting rave reviews, and I don't understand it. Uh, the dialogue is so bad. Uh, but, you know. 
Uh, and then her second question is the inverse, the biggest surprise game slash movie that turned out better than expected. Which is also a little bit of a tough one. Like, I want to say Hobbs and Shaw, which I saw over the over the weekend. But I'm also a little bit like, Hobbs and Shaw was obviously the best movie. Like, why? That w- that's not a fucking surprise. <laughs> um... Do I have do I have a good surprise one that I have that uh um I'm going to say that a biggest surprise game for me that was good I had an answer for this was uh uh oh Baba is you not that I never expected it, I just kind of came out of nowhere mm-hmm. and it was a lot of fun. So I think I want to give it to Baba is You for the, the biggest thing that surprised yeah, me. Yeah, you know, I think I'm going to give it to Etherborn. Uh, I typically don't like puzzle games, but I had a lot of fun playing Etherborn, which was this the the puzzle game that was made by uh, another studio that uh, that I streamed. Um, which was just, yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. I was really impressed by that game, getting me into... You know the the intricacies of the mechanics and the puzzles, and I kind of began to understand uh, some of the some of the way things work. Honestly, League of Legends is another good one for 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 games. I did not expect to kind of like fall so deeply back into it, um, just because I do remember being like really like done with the game. But uh, for some reason, uh, maybe it is just the social aspect. I feel like we've fallen back into League without uh, without too much trouble. I think maybe the biggest surprise movie uh for me just because it was small and you know like nobody really like talked about it and it kind of like came out of nowhere um was the fuck was it called triple threat triple is the ben affleck movie triple something triple frontier um it was just a really solid good action movie that came out it was like direct to netflix um starring ben affleck uh oscar isaac and a couple of other folks and uh and it was just like yeah like i didn't expect anything kind of from it it looked a little bit hacky uh but as soon as i got in there and you know saw everything i was actually no okay the best answer to this is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I also saw over the weekend. But not because I didn't think it would be good and then it was good. I thought it looked pretty good and then it was pretty good. But just that it had it really surprised me up and down every step of the way. I was very tense and I was not sure where they were going. Even though I under I had a very good understanding of the history going into it, so I knew some things were not as tense as they were made out to be and some things were much more tense than they seemed on the surface. Uh, but I think that was a really, really special movie built a lot around tension um, and uh, surprise. And yeah, good, good job, good job. Tantino, you nailed it. Yeah, no, I, I, I didn't know as much of the history, but, like, I am a fan of Quentin Tarantino, and it felt like he did a lot of, like, this is a Quentin Tarantino movie. This means that something is going to happen here, and then it doesn't happen until the very end. So, uh, I agree. Uh, I guess we rotate then back to Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy gave us a ton of questions. I'm so excited um, to answer these questions. If you were a competitive eater, what would your competitive eating name be? I, I, do I answer first? 
I my guess. my yeah. competitive eating name. I don't know if they, like they're pun names, but I typically think pun names are dumb. So my competitive eating name would be the ravenous maw, because I would want everyone to be afraid of my ravenous maw. Uh, mine would probably be mungler, because <laughs> I think it's fine funny. Um, did you guys watch the WWE slash WWF growing up? Uh, what are your, who are your favorite wrestlers? Yeah, see, this um, sucks. I fucking did not, and I wish did I, I did. Because the more I understand about wrestling and it's like current incarnation, the more I'm like, this is so cool. Why did I not watch it more? Uh, my um, favorite wrestler is probably just I'm, John Cena because of the memes, and I am a novice and don't understand wrestling. Oh, I'm sure if I how, got how could it, it not be Tyler Breeze? <laughs> oh, yeah, I did forget about Tyler Breeze. The one time that we watched the WWE at Mark's house at Thanksgiving, that okay, that's a good answer, Tyler Breeze. Um, so yeah, um, I, sorry that those were quick, uh, Jimmy, but those are your two questions for now. Um, next up is Paul again. Uh, ah, we should have done this one before, but, uh, best, this last question was best thing you ate, and this one is best thing you ate while playing a video game in 2019. Um. Oof. I mean, the best thing I ate is those po' boys. The best thing I ate while playing a video game is obviously those po' boys. Po' boys, yeah. <laughs> um. Best thing I ate was probably uh, I tend to eat while playing MTGA, so I would I I made myself some mac and cheese using I can't remember the name of the it's like sodium something or other it's a couple different channels did a video on them but it's like it makes the cheese gooey like American cheese gets but yep. you get to use like not American cheese mm -hmm. uh, that was really good that was a really good thing that I did so. Um, I recommend to all of you that you check out the Adam Ragusea channel on YouTube. He does he does uh, some good stuff there. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I actually have to... I want to amend my answer because I'm fairly sure that I had a BLT uh, while I was playing League of Legends. And, uh, and, like, the reason I brought up that BLT with mustard is because the BLTs have been on my mind basically ever since. I went golfing with friend of the cast, Max, um, and uh, I had a BLT while I was out there. And I was like, oh, my God, fucking BLTs are so good, right? And then I eventually had the idea to replace the tomato, like the raw tomato slice, which I don't like, with a uh, with some grilled onions. And I had that, and I was like, oh my god, this is so amazing. And so Rachel, my wife, friend of the cast, uh, got, who is a vegetarian, by the way, got bacon and, like, veggie bacon to make us BLTs. And I swear to god, it was the best BLT I've ever had in my life, which is so strange because she's vegetarian and has no idea how to cook bacon, which is, like, maybe part of the point like, maybe she undercooked it or overcooked it, and I did, I mean, she would have undercooked it, because um, it was not, like, crispy and, and, and black kind of thing. Um, and that was what made it so great. I don't know, but I definitely had that while we were eating, or while I was playing video games, and it was so fucking good. So, Rachel, here's your shout-out. That bacon was the shit. Uh, so, so uh, this is not one of Paul's questions, but uh, since you brought it up, are you a crispy or a chewy bacon guy? Uh, I guess I'm a chewy bacon guy, because I typically like it to be... Uh, like gum, you know, like gummy. I, I I hate it when you cook all the fat out of the bacon. 
I, I am with you. I'm, I am also a chewy baking guy. I think that actually might um, be a New Jersey thing. Something, uh, when I used to get, like, you know, like a bacon, egg, and cheese at, like, the bagel place uh, that was, like, local to town, or if I ever got a BLT at, like, a diner, I almost always thought that it was chewy. Um, and then it was only, I think, when I moved out to Baltimore and sort of the rest of the world that I understand that they were, like, was such thing as people who liked crispy bacon. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Speaking of New Jersey breakfast meats, are, are you a Taylor Ham fan? Oh, I love Taylor Ham. My favorite breakfast sandwich is Taylor Ham egg and cheese. Um, mm. Because it's one of my favorites too. Yeah, yeah Taylor Ham is mm, Taylor Ham is also known as salt salt pork. Is that what they it's call it? Pork roll. Pork pork the South roll. Jersey. Uh, the inferior South Jerseyans call it that. Um, yeah, we're, we're we're throwing our weight behind Taylor Ham. Yeah, uh, Taylor Ham is specifically in that like middle, you know, stretch. Um, no, it's North Jersey. It's Taylor Ham. Oh, it is uh, all the way. Okay, yeah. fair enough. I think of it as also kind of like a New York thing because you can also get Taylor Ham in New York City, but um, uh, that's only because it's always some things called like the New Jersey Watt thing, right? Like you can get Taylor Ham on a hot dog for the New Jersey dog. Yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, there's a lot of I, weird I, I, New Jersey foods that have come up on this: disco fries, uh, the Italian yeah. hot dogs. <laughs> and, well, we both did grow up in New Jersey. Yeah, so, we did know. both grow up in New Jersey. It's weird that I've never I mean, heard of disco fries. Uh, or maybe um, I did, and I just like edited it out. I don't. I don't like gravy, uh, so no. I never would have eaten them. Um, oh, so here, here's a Jersey-ish thing. What do you, do you call red sauce gravy ever? No. What do you mean red sauce? Like mar- like like uh, like like oh, marinara like mar- or meat sauce? Yeah, no, tomato no. sauce. I oh, I always call it bolognese, but that's because my parents lived in Italy, so okay. they always called it bolognese. They lived in Bologna, okay. so <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. No, uh, we like. Um, like the gravy, like I, you know, I, I, I am ethnically Italian. And it's like, ah, oh, you're making gravy on Sunday, right? And uh, nobody else calls it that. People all think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's brown sauce. But uh, yeah, that's weird. That yeah. is definitely weird. I, that, that, that is a, that is a North Jersey Italian thing. Fair I'm enough. not the only one that does that. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, moving on to Paul's next question. Uh, what is your recommendation for gaming footwear this year? Um. I think that you, if you're really going to step your game up, you need to get yourself a pair of darn tough Vermont socks, uh, which are these really great socks for wicking sweat off of your feet. And then I think you need to get yourself a pair of uh, fisherman sandals uh, and just combine those. And then I think you're ready to game. What are fisherman sandals? Uh, they've got like covering over the toe. Uh, so it's, it's, it's hard to stub your toe on rocks. They're basically oh, just like vandals. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see, I see. That's okay. That's interesting. I am a bare feet slash socks kind of guy. I think in the summer it is bare feet o'clock, and then when it gets cold, uh, like I have a specific pair of like super soft, comfy socks that I that I will wear uh, as my as my gaming as my gaming attire. That's the that's my esports recommendation. So yeah. If if you need if if you can't get your hands on darn tough socks, uh, bunny super bunny hops George socks are uh, good for channeling the spirit of. Uh, of, of there was a of while where I was using uh, like these compression socks that I bought, um, and I don't know why. I just I happened to buy compression socks, but I was like, oh my god, these are great. Uh, but then I eventually stopped liking those as much. I don't know, maybe like they compressed my feet too much or something. I don't really even know how they work to be honest. Uh, yeah, well, that's uh, that's fair enough. Uh, moving on to Sang again. Uh, 
How come I always fall asleep early and my bum hurts when my uncle comes to visit? Saying, oh. uh, I think you might be getting uh, drugged and raped by your uncle. I know that he's a really important part of your life and that he takes care of you, but I think he also might be taking advantage of you. So it would be my recommendation uh, to call the police or child services or any other family member that you would trust with this information because it's probably something criminal that's going on. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to respond to this question. Uh, so I'm going to sandbag it and uh, say, you know what Buddy said. Um, <laughs> Though, I will say, when your uncle goes to jail as a sex offender, I, I, I have a lot of sympathy for the legal trouble that he's in. I think we're a little unfair to, uh, to sex offenders. Uh, so that's yeah, just whiplash uh, for you. Have a little emotional whiplash. Uh, the next question uh, is, what is your stance on illegal, uh, illegal parentheses, undocumented immigration? I like that he did both uh, of those. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a good way to try and be as, as neutral as possible. Yeah. Uh, which I do appreciate. I do appreciate trying to, trying to, 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 to straddle the line there. Um, so that the the take is is as unbiased as I possible. I think yada yada Democratic Party. What is even the Democratic Party line at this point? Like, fucking. <laughs> I think a path to citizenship is good. What was the thing? I thought that bill that they put out that was like the Gang of Eight or whatever in like 2013 that got tanked by the Republicans in the House was very smart. It like simultaneously had big increases to border security um, at the same time that it created a path to citizenship. And I think that those kinds of compromises are really useful and really important in politics nowadays. But, uh, but you know, I, I'm not trying to blame both sides here, but both sides don't want to engage in those kinds of politics anymore. Um, because if you ever collaborate with the enemy, you get, you know destroyed right like on one side you get destroyed by sean hannity on fox news for being a fucking conservative traitor right and a rhino or whatever um and on the other side you get destroyed by liberal twitter for like fucking collaborating with fascists so uh yeah i think that that was uh that was a really good stab at uh at undocumented immigration and it was a real shame it didn't go anywhere yeah so um i think that uh, we should have more more lax immigration policies, but uh, I do think that um, you know it should not be consequence free for the people who did enter. But that administering that is a a very kind of cost ineffective uh, set of things. Like the cost of, of of you know quote unquote bringing illegal immigrants to justice is is impractical, and so I think that a past citizenship is probably the smartest thing to do there. Um, uh, but you know. I think I think that's about that. Oof! Um, interestingly, do you do you support decriminalizing border crossing? Um, this gets asked in the Democratic debates all the time. It's such a yeah. fucking wonky question. Yeah. Um. It's a it's, it's a tough question because like I think decriminalize like in kind of a directionalist way. I get it. In kind of like a like in terms of like you decriminalize marijuana use before you legalize it, but I also think that like so I think that while we should have more open immigration, there should be some controls on it, right? Like you do want to screen for like uh, I don't know, like criminals, uh, and so you should have to cross through port of entry and so at that point i think decriminalizing border illegal border crossing is a mistake 
I think that's, uh, that's, so, that's the on that. Uh, how do you feel about reverting to like the pre? Not, so, so part of this, I think, is just like people don't quite necessarily understand what that's talking about. Like before 1996, it was, you know, it was like illegal to cross the border. But you just got deported. Yeah, you didn't. It's not like you got charged with like a crime or whatever. Um, but now you can and do, and which is what the Trump administration basically has been using to set up those uh, those like camps, like with the child separation policy and all that other kind of stuff. And so the I think it was Julian Castro who came up with this, and his whole plan was you just decriminalize border crossing so that that can't happen again, right? Like you send them back, right? Uh, that's, that's how you respond to this kind of thing, but it has also become like a big topic in like the illegal immigration debate because some people read decriminalized border crossing as open borders, which is yeah, yeah. nonsensical, so, but yeah, it's a whole thing. Yeah. So I think that, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's as nonsensical as you're making it out to be. I think it definitely pushes toward like, I think kind of like the rallying point of open borders is a thing that like is, is, is definitely a thing that the people engage in, um, but I think that – so as a matter of theory, I think I'm in favor of keeping it criminalized because I think you do want to encourage people to go through the the the, uh, the ports of entry. Yeah, the proper um, As a matter of – yeah. As a matter of practice, I think that – I also think that like as a matter of practice, decriminalizing it is maybe like a band-aid fixed to the real problem, which is like true immigration reform. But if that's the fastest way to keep people – to keep like the worst – worst aspects of the current immigration regime in check maybe i buy that um but uh, those practical I, I i those practical practicality questions are hard to engage with because um for things i brought up earlier about like you know my unpopular views i think that like questions like going sideways around practicality issues is not like a, a sustainable solution mm-hmm. um and so I prefer I, I'm 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 more answering in terms of the theoretics than how do, how do you feel about uh, how do you feel about like the various proposals for like like there's a certain idea that all you do to fix the illegal immigration is you do foreign aid projects like a Marshall Plan mixed with a Monroe Doctrine or whatever I think people talk about it in those kinds of terms right like we big powerful foreign aid packages heading to Central American countries that are having a really tough time to crack down on corruption and all these other kinds of things and help, like, make people not want to flee and seek asylum in the first place. Uh, so... We're just getting to the meat of it, saying, I know this is yeah. what you really wanted. You really wanted to know what Mango thought about, you know, aggressive foreign aid packages for Guatemala. Yeah. <laughs> I don't... Uh, so, I don't know. As, in terms of things the government could be spending its money on, assuming it has to spend money on things, um, I think that that's not the worst choice. Uh, in terms of like how much it solves the problem, I, like if if your primary concern is curbing Ill- illegal immigration, if you know like having Mexico stop them, which is I think the current Trump administration plan, I don't know how well that's actually going to work. Seems like it might be effective. I don't know, um, but. A big part of this is that a lot of the illegal immigration is coming from, like, overstayed visas. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if this really helps that at all. Yep. Um, so, I don't know. Practicality analysis. Like, I think that if we feel that this is a problem that needs to be solved by us, I'd rather solve it with with a to foreign country than spending those resources on actively, like, on, on the, what, are, what are effectively, like, measures of force. So Yeah, yeah. like ICE, right? Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but uh, like I said, I'd rather solve it with with, with, with more comprehensive immigration reform. But uh, what about you? What do you think of of, of any of those things? You <laughs> oh man, I'm just asking these questions. I don't want to. No, I so. Uh, I am in general, like like I said, like this is why I like the Gang of Eight proposal because I do think that border security probably could be increased, and I wouldn't be so mad about it. And using that as a carrot to get the uh, to get legislation for a path to citizenship, I think that's the key and most important piece of the process, right? Um, I think a path to citizenship is really important, and I'd be willing to trade a lot in sort of like the Republican agenda, uh, like the conservative agenda in order to kind of like get there. This, by the way, is also was president Obama's stance, right? Like people talk about his high deportation numbers, uh, but that was a matter of like, he was tough on immigration in order to try and reach this compromise, um, in 2013, which just kind of didn't, you know, which just kind of didn't get there. I do think, uh, that there's, uh, there's other pieces to, uh, undocumented immigration that I have like ambient concerns about, I guess I would say, uh, for instance, I'm not a huge fan of like ice and ice raids and the kind of like weaponization and like militarization of ice as a uh as a like a bureau like a like a law enforcement bureau and uh, and the biggest thing that i have a real real huge giant problems with is the trump administration messing with asylum law and how asylum seekers are coming into uh, are coming into the country there's a lot of administrative backbone that goes into kind of customs and border enforcement outside of like the ice vein of kind of like policing or whatever i mean even ice itself isn't supposed to be a police force but um the the deterioration of those border agents right like people who are screening for asylum asylum judges immigration courts all these other kinds of things uh i think that those uh really need some kind of support to get back on their feet and um and they need to not be so targeted by partisans who are just kind of getting in the way of like bureaucrats doing the bureaucracy that makes the world yeah like the country work i think maybe there's there's like uh so there's there's a couple different like there's some nuances to this issue i think that, that like uh an easier smell test would be better. Um, like the majority of asylum cases are denied on grounds of not being valid, which um, as far as I can tell from my research are like, like those denials are legitimate. It's people who maybe want a better life, but don't qualify for asylee status. Um, I think maybe part of the way you get there is maybe harsher penalties for defensive asylees, which are people who claim asylum only when they're caught. Um, if you affirmatively can't claim asylum, apparently the system is much easier on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that even if you enter illegally, if you go and uh, claim asylum affirmatively, the system's easier on you. So um, I think encouraging that behavior might be a good way to kind of like help with some of the stuff. Uh, but, you know, I think you're right, obviously, or maybe not obviously, but as part of it that like there's there's a there's there's a bureaucratic problem as well. There you go. Um, get yeah, get I think get another it. strike is. <laughs> I think I'm going to strike his last question. I just don't want to deal with that. The answer, right the answer is is, oh boy, yes. But Jesus, what what's what's wrong with you? Anyway, the the, the answer is you should always lock your doors. <laughs> I wonder if people will be able to figure it out. Send in a question if that you think we are answering when we say yes. You should always lock your doors. Uh, 
I think that's back to the guild then. Okay. Uh, I have one more. Que- no, I have two more questions from the guild. The first one Perfect. comes from my man, Shizari. He says, Detective Pikachu, first truly good video game movie or just more of the same? Hmm. Ooh, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, I might, I, like, I can't think of another good video game movie. Uh, so, but I do think it's a cut above other video game movies. I don't think it's the same as most video game movies, right? Yeah, oh, so. see, that's interesting. See, I think Warcraft is the first truly good video game movie with a kind of caveat that, like, good doesn't mean great, right? It gets over the line. It's a B minus, right? But it gets there, I think. Whereas Detective Pikachu is maybe an A minus, but do you not, do, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I, so, like, so, yeah, that, that's, like, the the the, thi- the more of the same makes me think that he means like is it bad like everything else I don't think that's like yeah. I definitely think it's good is it the first Warcraft's a compelling case uh yeah I, th- I think the real problem with the Warcraft yeah. movie is that it's just kind of like passably good right like yeah. if if Warcraft was huge and like blew down the doors and didn't have as many problems I think it would be much cleaner. Uh, yeah, Detective Pikachu is a little bit of that because I do think it is cleaner than Warcraft, but I also think that it doesn't try as hard as Warcraft, which like deduct did like deduct some points, right? Like because it is such a kids movie, um, and we talked about that in our in our Detective Pikachu kind of uh, in our Detective Pikachu like episode, obviously. Um, I yeah. actually think the best truly good video game movie is Jumanji, the fucking. Uh, enter the like skull or something i can't remember what it was called but like the jumanji movie that came out two years ago uh which is a movie about video games using video game logic Mm, mm, that was my shit Uh, and i highly recommend that movie for anyone who wants to watch a video game movie all right i don't know if i count that in the same category but i'll give it to you yeah i know it really is the different category and then this one comes from raiden nova dragon uh she asks what is the square root of purple Hmm. Uh, tomato. Uh, fair enough. I want to look up, like what, like the the hertz frequency of 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 the wave that yeah, is purple. Yeah, you know, I I want to be clever, but uh, this question, I didn't make enough time for it. So I actually feel like the square root of the square root of purple. It's gotta be no wait. It's gotta be something by itself makes the thing right yeah because i was gonna say red and blue but that's just like those would be like the multiplicative root of yeah purple hypothetically speaking maybe summation i don't know yeah uh i don't know i that's that's not how math works right in flip it around on you anyway uh so those are those are all of the questions from the guild all right so two more from jim it's it's gonna be back and forth between jimmy and paul at this point nice uh uh, question. Uh, next question from Jimmy. Uh, do you think you've pooped the largest poops of your lives? Oh my god, I think um. about this all the fucking time. Well, that's not true. I never thought about this, and then Jimmy sent in his questions like two weeks ago, and I read that, and I was like, "Oh my god, have I pooped the biggest poop of my entire life?" I don't know. It's such a hard question to answer. Because I have really, honestly, I have pooped some fucking, like, watermelons. 
Yeah, so I think it is possible that I have pooped the largest poop of my life, but I would not be surprised if there is a, a larger one brewing at some point. I also don't know what constitutes, like, I don't have any good sense for what would create a larger poop versus a smaller poop. Yeah. I don't know enough about biology. Um, Fair enough. But I think I want to move on. I'm, I'm not a big fan of toilet stuff, so... <laughs> Like, I can't play Binding of Isaac because there's too much poop in it. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. It just bothers me too much. Yeah. Um, Ooh, this is a good one. What is the political topic of the future that you think our generation will be old-fashioned about? Hmm. I think the answer for me is pretty obvious. I think it's like veganism, vegetarianism, meat, factory farming, all that stuff. I think, like, our future descendants, like, 60 years from now, will, like, look back on us as, like, fucking monsters for, like, factory farming. I don't think... I think we're gonna have factory meat, so I don't... Like, 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 like lab meat. No, so no, 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 no well, this is specifically the, what, the, what I'm... What I'm like, oh, yeah. once that happens and we kind of cross the threshold, people will look back and they'll be like, you used to keep, like, cows and chickens in these, like, awful, terrible, unethical conditions that, like, turn your stomach... Or whatever, and and the truth is, most people just don't know. They don't think about it, right? Like yeah. nobody knows the like those crazy conditions. And those of us who do, just kind of say, you know what, it sucks. Let's fight. Let's like not worry about it. Like the, <laughs> vegetarianism is like the moral stance that I think is correct, but I do not engage with. <laughs> so maybe that's like a little bit of like an easy uh, an easy answer. I mean, I don't I don't assign a lot of moral worth to to animals, so. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. You think, that, like, it's okay point. to, like, beat a dog? Eh. Like, I have a like, baseball bat, and I go, and there's a stray dog, like, and I there's, just there's, beat there's it There's no, like, utility to that, so... <clears throat> no. But, like, is it okay to raise a dog to eat for food? Sure. So it's okay, like, so it's okay to, like, commit, like, the wanton acts of cruelty in, like, the factory farming system just because, like the utility of the meat on the other end that, that makes a certain amount of sense i get that yeah yeah uh but uh do i have a good answer for this um i don't know um probably honestly the border thing just because i think that the concept of the nation state is slowly going to dissolve Ooh, with the next you globalist no, I'm, I'm all I about mean, that. I get that. I hey, like, like, regardless of my own personal opinions on it, I think that's just the way it's gonna go, right? Like, even if, even if I, I am mostly a globalist, but if, even if I wasn't, I think that's the way that life is going to go, and that's gonna be the way that, that things can be old fashioned for good, or, for better, or for worse. How do you feel about like all of the right wing nationalist like resurgences in place? Right, like, like, how, how does how does that worldview fit in with like Brexit, where like the globalist EU is losing? someone like is losing one of these core members in it yeah like so i think that i i think i think the next the next 10 20 years are going to be kind of the uh the the bellwether because like i do think that they're like I, like sometimes you see these things where like right before there's a like there's a there's a little bit of a pushback before like things really push far past it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's possible that like that this is this is that moment. Um, I also think that there are reasons for disliking the EU that aren't necessarily like 
anti-globalist, yeah. as as it were. This, so <laughs> this is a shout out to my dad who likes this talking point because he thinks the EU is like kind of a good idea in theory but a bad idea in practice it's like the modern articles of confederation right like the eu would be better if it was like a little bit stronger and more powerful but because it's kind of effectively powerless uh and you know like it doesn't do the thing it kind of like should in a way uh that is it's like the representation of its failure rather than a failure of globalism um yeah, I, I feel like it's kind of got elements of the tragedy of the commons, right? Like, the good actors have their hands kind of tied, whereas yeah. the bad actors can just do what they want and they suffer no consequences really for it. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think the same is also kind of true of the United Nations. Um, not that I think the United Nations is a bad organization, I just don't think it's effective. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I like, the, the United Nations is as effective as the United States is, which is not a good good state for the United Nations to be in. Uh, um. Yeah, I, I, that's fair. I also think the United Nations gets like like we all learn about like the League of Nations and like the failure of the League of Nations, and I think the United Nations is better than that. So kind of like gets sure. like a little bit of like uh, it's like graded on a little bit of a curve just because we all know the history in a way. Yeah, it's interesting. I think of the United Nations as very as very uh, successful in a way, um, but I also think that there's like a little bit of like lower stakes to it in. A lot of situations, like for instance, Israel just constantly ignores United Nations resolutions and never pays any consequences. Um, and I think part of the flip side of that is like Saudi Arabia is on the Human Rights Council, which yeah. I don't understand. Yeah, yeah, like uh, there, there's definitely like plenty of that, plenty of that kind of stuff going on. Yeah. Um, well, that's two from Jimmy. Back to Paul. Hit um, me, Paul. If you had to cut off one of Buddy's feet, which would you choose? Uh, if you had to cut off one of my feet, or if I had to cut off one of my feet, it says if you. So I think it's for both of us. Okay. So, what's your answer, buddy? I don't know. My left foot. I feel like I would. In solidarity, be, I will also pick your left. foot. I feel like it would be better for me to hop around on my right foot. I'm probably a little bit more coordinated on my right side. I used to be ambidextrous when I was a kid, but I like slowly but surely like train myself to be a righty. Um, yeah. My answer would be I'd ask you and let you choose which foot to cut off. Thanks. Uh, what a what a what a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, standing desks for gaming. Uh, Rachel just bought a standing desk and she says she likes it a lot. Uh, I imagine that standing desks are better for gaming and that I should probably get one. But I'm also very lazy and I love just like being awful to my back in my co- current computer chair. So so. Highly recommended uh, so the, against my own idiocy. Uh, so there have been studies about this because uh, standing desks are a big thing in Silicon Valley. It's like a health craze type thing, and companies will pay for it usually in the Valley. Um, results are that it doesn't really do a lot for your health. Um, you need like a walking desk to actually do something there. Um, I say, would it, given that there's no real health benefit apparently, I would say whatever makes you the most comfortable. Um, if you enjoy standing more, get a standing desk. If you uh, enjoy sitting more, uh, sit on your fat ass. Um, so, you know. Fair enough. Uh, only you could be responsible for your choices, Paul. Yeah. Well, um, there, there's also a lot of, like, the, the one Rachel has is, like, a converter. Like, it has a little crank. Yeah. You can crank oh, it. Yeah, it it's one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lowers or whatever. And I think that's probably the ideal. Yep, that makes sense. All right. Pigging back to Jimmy. 
How do you feel about the longevity of esports? League has been around for 10 years now. Can we expect another year, another 10 years, or will newer, spicier games take the spotlight? Uh, I think there is an esports bubble. There's a lot of evidence that there's an esports bubble. Um, but I do think that even once that bubble pops, there will still be plenty of power in esports. Something that has been kind of revolutionary and interesting is uh, is the way Hearthstone has proved that to me. They basically destroy they destroyed the Heroes of the Spores Storm esports team, and they basically gutted the Hearthstone esports team. But it turns out that you can actually have a pretty strong and competitive league just with like the game and like the balance around it and like the kind of community about it without too much like money and influence and like you don't need investors or anything kind of um along those lines and i feel like even if the esports bubbles pops in like a worst case scenario really all we'll see is sort of like a return to that level of like normalcy right it will will probably drive down you know like production costs and stuff kind of along those lines and you're not going to be seeing right like you know like rick fox be making investments well rest in peace um be making investments in league to the you know millions and millions of dollars rick fox died no 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 uh well Oh, he got forced out of his he got forced out of his own organization because the other guy was fucking racist. Um, the uh, um, uh, I think that that's kind of like you know Bjergsen will no longer get a six figure or seven figure salary, right? He will drop down to something a little bit more kind of like normal and sustainable, and I think that's a pretty fine place. I bet League will probably be the premier esport um, uh, for the next couple of years. I think inside of that 10 year window, I don't, I don't see any other newer spicier games taking the spotlight from league specifically. I think I'm going to generally agree with you, but I think the model to look to is instead of Hearthstone fighting games, because they never had like kind of real esports money. Um, they were always kind of like community organized events that kind of grew. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, they also don't have nearly as large prize pools. So, um, it's the money is going to be worse, but I think that that's kind of the sustainable model. I think that games are inherently volatile in terms of turnover on games. So um, I won't lie; I think League has lasted longer than I thought it would, but uh, really? we'll see. I think I think I, I I don't think that any one game has the power to stay in esport for any any really long period of time. Um, oh, okay. Like eventually, that, you know, the your C- CSGO will be yeah will be replaced by yeah. Okay, yeah. that makes some sense. I get that. I get that. Yeah, um, I mean, and that's the way it works at Evo, right? Like, there's nine games on the main stage, and there's a ton of side tournaments, but those nine games rotate, right? Like, uh, it's like there's no melee anymore. There's no Street Fighter Four, Street Fighter Five, and then like other games rotate in, and I think that's just the way it has to go. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, what do you guys miss the most about living in Jersey? Boy, we're um, just gonna come back to this well. Uh, I actually yeah. do think I miss, uh, you know, I, I miss quite a lot about living in New Jersey. Uh, but the thing I do miss the most is food. Um, specifically, bagels. I really miss. Bagels. Yeah, I really miss bagels. It is really tough to get a good bagel. Um, I I definitely do miss pizza, though. I think LA pizza, like, I've had pizza that is basically fine. It's like ninety percent of the way there. Um, and uh, especially because, like, artisan kind of, like, thin crust, like, brick oven places have sort of, like, taken off nationwide. That has done a lot for it. Um, like, I don't think 20 years ago – like, 20 years ago in Maplewood, we had a brick oven pizza place. I don't think 20 years ago Los Angeles would have had anything kind of along those sorts of lines. Uh, but I absolutely miss bagels the most. And I miss um, 
God, I miss Taylor Hamig and Cheese. Mm. Oh, and yeah, I miss Sloppy Joe. Have you fridge. ever? So Sloppy Joes in New Jersey are are, are different beasts because it's basically coleslaw. It's like a coleslaw sandwich. Those are great. I also miss those Sloppy Joes, which is not something you can get anywhere else. I don't think I've ever had any. Th- I, I don't think I've had that particular thing. You'll have to give me a recommendation for next time I'm back in Jersey. I don't even. I. You know, it was just like a thing that like if you order Sloppy Joes at like bumblefuck the diners diner. they will give you and i think this might be a central jersey thing because it's kind of down by where okay. you live jimmy like at you know uh sort of in like like west Plainfield area um kind of more by princeton and like route 22 and stuff like that so i don't know i i, I don't i uh but i definitely do miss the food the most that's that's my thing that i miss the most about new yep. jersey I, I think I agree with that. I, I miss diners kind of as a concept. There's some, yeah. there's, but nothing's as good as a Jersey diner. Yeah, especially because um, a lot of them are 24 hours, and I really miss the, yeah. the the ability, like, for all of us to go to... Like, we, you know, we will go, like, friends and 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 I will, like, go to places, and we'll go to, like, 24-hour places. Um, and the diner, like, just being able to go to, like, a big empty diner and get, like, a big fat burger or something like that at like 1am after you've been out doing crazy stuff all night it's just like ah i really miss that i think there is a diner like that in la um there's a couple of them uh, there's like there's a deli actually there's Cantor's deli which is pretty famous um and uh and there's plenty of other like 24 hours like diner sort of spots along those lines um but it's not quite the same especially because like new jersey diners i think sell more stuff uh, L.A. diners seem to be focused on, like, that sort of, like, burger section, and a lot of the time with, like, a Mexican flair, because I think they just have uh, a lot of, like, Mexican cooks and stuff like that, so, like, you know, you'll get, you, like, it. Th- you will have burgers on one side, and then you'll also have, like, burritos and shit on, on, on like, the yeah, back. Yeah, no, this is like how Jersey diners always have Italian Italian food for the customers and Greek food from the owners. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, because, yeah, because you could always get a gyro at, at a uh, at a diner. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, they, 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 they are typically owned by Greek people. I don't know why this is, but that it, this is generally true. Um, uh, in New Jersey. Correct. Uh, not, I, not, I also find uh, that to be the case. Um, so, uh, bouncing back to Paul. I think that was two from Jimmy, right? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, bouncing back to Paul. Uh, is Mountain Blade Banner I think that was going to be four from Jimmy? Did we go? No, no. It was, oh, wow. No, we, we, did, we did two from Paul. Okay. He was dead. Last Paul's last question was standing. Desks. Oh right, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Is Mountain Blade Bannerlord going to be any good? Huh? Uh, I have played one of the Mountain Blade games. I can't remember which one. Uh, which I thought was interesting, but ultimately kind of fruitless. I think if you like Mountain Blade Bannerlord, will probably be good. Probably won't be as good as you're expecting because it's got too much hype behind it. But I think if you like Mountain Blade, you're probably in for a good time. Um, and then his next question is, uh, was Fallout 76 what its int- creators intended? Did they intentionally release a game that I personally thought was felt very unfinished, or did they not get to release the game they wanted to? Um, I have some behind-the-scenes information about this, which ooh. was that, like, the original version was much more modular and um, and sort of allowed. Like, the original th- – this is this has kind of been the case, I think, for late, uh, a lot of the late 2010s. Um, games that we've seen, like Mass Effect Andromeda suffers from this, No Man's Sky suffers from this, um, uh, Anthem absolutely suffers from this, like, where you have these ideas for sort of, like, next-level features that don't quite materialize, and you kind of have to, like, pivot, you know, two-thirds of the way 
into the game in order to like salvage the the, the project. The thing that that Fallout seventy six wanted was to be a procedurally generated world where the world reacted to the movements of players. So, for instance, if players congregate in the middle of a farm, right. NPCs will show up and set up shops in that farm and that farm will become a town and that town will get a name and that name will pop up on your map or whatever. That was the, that was the idea. That was like the big picture Todd Howard idea, but it became so hard to implement, um, that they eventually had to just kind of abandon it and, um, remove all of the NPCs from the game entirely to just kind of surround it with like the survival mechanics and like the monsters and shit. Which is a shame because honestly, that kind of like reactive world sounds really cool, and I feel like a lot of us would really enjoy like playing something like that. Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna say I'm gonna mostly agree with you. I think this is not the game that developers wanted to make, but it is the game that ZeniMax Media wanted, which is a live service game that could earn the money with microtransactions. Um, I think it's the probably the worst of the bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is the same trap that Anthem fell into. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's I, th- I think this this is a publisher problem in some ways. Um, I think like there's maybe some hope, right? Like Destiny is taking big strides towards different things now that it's unshackled from Activision. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. Um, but yeah, those are two more from Paul. Now for two more from Jimmy. Uh, what do you do? You think we can reach levels of virtual integration shown in Black Mirror? I'm talking about the USS Callister episode in the recent fighting games and the recent fighting games episode. You think the direction of video games will inevitably trend head towards? I have not seen these episodes. I do not think I have seen the USS McAllister episode, which uh, sw- oh, I have seen that one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which uh, I thought was very good television. Um, but the interesting thing about the USS McAllister uh, episode is the like self awareness of the programs inside of the machine, which is this kind of idea that like um, this is something having read scant little of like singularity stuff but this is something that i've read about like kind of the singularity like there's this assumption that when a human will be able to interface with a machine we will be able to impose our free will upon it rather than it opposing it like imposing its like programming on us um and i do think that that's a real question that the uss callister episode doesn't like grapple with um in a kind of, like, meaningful way. Which is to say, like, you know, we we assume that when you take my brain state, right, and you plug it into the game and I make an avatar of me, my avatar will have free will inside of the game. Well, the truth of the matter is that if that were to happen, my brain state could just act like a program, right? And not, you know, like, the desire for escape that the female crew member in the USS Callister experiences wouldn't necessarily be something that they could actualize just because of the inability of a computer, like the inability of code to have free will, if that makes sense. And I think that that is a, like the kind of underlying hurdle hypothesis that kind of needs to be, um, like answered first. This, by the way, also applies to like we were talking about before, like the Neuralink stuff, right? Like there is the like maybe if you plug yourself into a machine, all of a sudden your brain is programmable. Which you know, I'm an optimist and I don't believe that will be the case, but it could be the case, kind of a thing. Which would be some you know Black Mirror fodder. Um, but yeah, I have only ever seen the Black Mirror uh, USS Callister episodes and the first two episodes, the one with the pig fucking, and then the one with the uh, the the black guy with the 
the Shard of Glass. Um, so I don't know about the fighting game episode or some of the other ones. Yeah, I don't know about the fighting game episode either, but I think that, assuming integration happens, I think video games will head that way. I think it has to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, um, right after porn. Um, I hear Vera porn is a game changer. I am reliably informed. Uh, <laughs> I have uh, never I, experienced I, it for myself, but that's what I'm told. Uh, it is simultaneously a very kind of... How do I want to put this? Uh, a much, much deeper experience, I guess, but it's also incredibly... Like, you feel like... You know that kind of feeling where, like, after you've 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 uh, relieved yourself, yeah, yeah, where it's like, ugh, what did I just do? Oh yeah, like yeah, that's, that's magnified because not only is there this kind of like like when like the video shows a person moving towards you, you can kind of feel their presence even though they're not actually there, right? Mm-hmm. It's like whatever kind of sensory thing happens, um, but like and so like that magnifies it, and also there's this like I just. I just like spent the effort and the money to put a box on my head to do this. Um, why are you wasting so much of your resources? You know, I yeah, I'm a hedonist, and so that's that that goes I mean, a long way. Yeah. But I I I get that that I get that. <laughs> uh, this is another Black Mirror question. Uh, what do you guys think about that Black Mirror episode about Anthony Mackie and his friend being together? Uh, had any intense commentary about being gay and whether they were whether being gay for hooking up in this what did you guys think that the Black Mirror episode about Anthony Mackie and his friend being together had any intense commentary about being gay and whether they were being gay for hooking up in this virtual reality have you guys ever thought about this concept and does this type of occurrence scare you I have no idea what he's talking about I'm gonna look this up because I'm interested in this in this premise okay so apparently the episode is called Striking Vipers uh, the plot is about Anthony Mackie and his girlfriend, and they pretend to be strangers, and he plays the game Striking Vipers with his friend Carl. Um, they play Striking Vipers in virtual reality together. Yeah. Uh, Wow. And then after one fight bout in which they fully experience their respective characters' pain from fighting blows, Carl and Danny's characters fall onto each other and kiss. Visibly distraught, Carl and Danny exit the game. Uh, Over the next few weeks, Danny and Carl begin to regularly log hours in order to have sex with each other, and Carl becomes withdrawn from his relationship... Or Danny becomes withdrawn from his relationship with Theo. Um... Carl reveals to Danny that he has been unable to recreate the feelings with other players as he had with Danny. That night, the pair enter the game and have sex again. They then ask to meet up in real life, and they kiss in their normal bodies. And it doesn't work the same. And it also appears that, like, so the, the end state is that they 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 gay fuck, and they only have gay they only have virtual reality gay fucking. And then in the final scene, it they gay fuck once a year. Uh, together in the video I, This sounds a lot like kind of um, like masculinity is a prison kind of shit to me. To be honest with you, like, but so 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 there's 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 a thing here that's also like, like 
the feelings only are only present in the game. Like the the the, the t- sexual tension is only there in the game. Okay. Right? Like when they meet up in real life, it doesn't work. It only works in the game, which I think is just a thing that you were talking about, which is like the programmability of the human brain right. in response to yeah what's happening. Huh. Um. I don't really. I'm not really afraid of that. Um. I have not thought about this concept before. <laughs> yeah, me neither, dude. I will say that uh, uh, I am afraid of it in the same sense that any, like, violation of sexuality, I think, is, like, fearful in the sense that, like, do you know what I mean? Right? That, like, I'm, I'm not a homosexual guy, but if I was to be kissed by someone against my will, that would be, like, bad and i wouldn't want that to happen yeah but that, that, that's true regardless but it also of the, seems okay. like like if if the point is like if the point is like they're they are in the closet right and that danny and or carl are gay but they don't want to like but they but they want to be heterosexual or something right then like that's kind of like one thing i don't really i don't yeah maybe we, we'd have we, to we watch it to see yeah I do think in general that guys have a lot of, uh, you know, like have a lot of anxiety and insecurity about like masculinity in general. And that the idea of like kissing another man, right, is has this like negative comment- connotation in a lot of scenarios that I don't think it should have, obviously. Um, but, you know, kissing people without their consent is bad. Yeah. It shouldn't happen. There's like weird consent issues with all of this stuff. Um yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. Like being being having things forced on you is never good and that's the thing that can happen in real life too. So I don't yeah. think virtual reality would be any exception. In fact, one would expect that you have the powers to kind of stop this stuff better in virtual reality, but Yeah. I don't know. So, insofar as this is a consent thing, uh, I get it. In so far, doesn't seem to be though. Yeah, I, I don't really understand the. the... I, I feel like we really can't talk about this without watching the episode. That's also probably true. Yep. Uh, that's our yes. very indecisive and vague take, Jimmy. Thanks for this question. It was a very good question. <laughs> so, sorry, we couldn't answer it better yeah. for you. Um, and now for the last two questions from from Paul. Is Humble Bundle a good thing for me? I feel like I buy so many neat looking games off of it, but never follow through to play them. Uh, does it actually benefit those producing games at all? Um, yes, in that you're buying the games and they get some amount of money. Um, I think it's good. Um, I also don't play as many of the games out of them as I should, but it also benefits charities. So, uh, having had the pleasure, th- this is, this is maybe like a little hashtag sponsored hashtag ad. Um, uh, having had the pleasure of talking with Humble Bundle people and meeting a couple of them, um, they're all really genuine and they care so much about like games and providing like the service. Um, and so uh, I sort of think if you are going to get games from somewhere, Humble Bundle is a really awesome place to do it because you know like those those guys, uh, based on every interaction I've ever had with any of them, um, are just super earnest and sincere and passionate about it um i never have gotten the feeling that you know like i don't like this isn't the trump foundation right like you know i I don't get the feeling that they're trying that they're trying to fleece people or take advantage of whatever with like charity and you know like i everyone i've ever met from humble bundle is uh is you know 
really awesome and really sincere. So you should not feel bad. They, they are great people. It's a great company. They do a great service. Uh, yeah, and uh, his last question is, what are you most excited about in VR in 2020? Ooh. Um, the easy answer is better porn. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, the real answer is I'm not sure. VR experiences I find are inconsistent, and it's not because I don't think that like people make good games for it. I think that just like certain experiences just aren't as good in VR even if you would expect them to be, right? Like, I don't ever expect a VR MMO to be that great. Um, uh, I think that, like, part of this is that, like, VR makes things more one-to-one to your own body motion, which is good in some instances, but actually a detriment in others. Like, you can't play a platformer in VR, and even if you could, I don't think you'd want to. So, uh, I, I think it's going to be a mixed bag. Boy... Uh, my, you know, this is going to sound really awful, uh, but I kind of hope that, like, VR is in a bubble and it pops. Um, I think a lot of money and talent and attention is being focused on VR, but it's kind of not going anywhere a little bit. Um, and maybe this is, like, part of, you know, I work for, uh, an indie games publisher and everyone cares a ton about VR and nobody really cares about the games that I want them to care about, um, but, uh... I feel like the I feel like the money that's being poured into VR would be better spent going uh, in some other places, and uh, maybe that happens. I don't know. I'm very pessimistic about P- VR in general, so that's my that's my that's my take. Hater, <laughs> you got me. Uh, so the oh, that's everything from Paul. So thank you, Paul, for your question. Are we on the last yeah, one, two, three, four, five questions out of Jimmy? Jimmy, my man. Uh, I think there's. I think there should be. Oh yeah, there are, there are five. Uh, what fantastical event setting would you guys be most willing to LARP? I would absolutely love to LARP in the World of Warcraft universe as my own original characters: Baron, Tonric, Gondor, any of them. I'm playing Gondor in a fifth edition D and D game right now, and just doing his accent is insanely fun. And uh, and I would go bananas to be able to do that true to form in the Warcraft universe where he was like birthed. Uh, I would say that I would be most willing to LARP in, like, a steampunk setting, because I like steampunk. Steampunk uh, is, is I don't have any, uh, I don't have anything better than that. Um, have you all heard of Bat Metal? Oof. I have not. I have heard of Bat Metal, and I highly recommend it. Uh, Bat Metal is, like, a, I guess a guy who does animations, and basically what he does is his own animated YouTube videos uh of metalocalypse songs um put to like batman like batman sings them and uh i love metalocalypse and i love the songs that they do for bat metal and they're so great and they're super funny and yep yep i like i like that i I have heard of it and i like it a lot uh the next question is, what is the answer to 8 slash 2 open parentheses 2 plus sign 2 close parentheses? I say it that way just because that ordering is important for determining order of operations. Yeah, so that's 16, And I leave right? the answer. Yeah, 16. Okay, that was my it's, Yeah, ballpark. it's 2 plus 2 first, which is 4. And then it's 8 over 2 times 2, and you go left to right, so 8 divided by 2 is 4. 4 times 4 is 16. Yeah. Uh, what is your I don't favorite the Willem Dafoe the movie? Th- there's like an acronym for it? What's the acronym for... Uh, PEMDAS. PEMDAS. Or please yeah, use whoa, holy shit. Or, 
please excuse my dear Aunt Sally dancing left to right, which is a parentheses, uh, exponent, multiplication, division, um, addition, subtraction, uh, and then you go left to right. Um, multiplication, division, and addition and subtraction are of the same priority. Um, what is your favorite Willem Dafoe movie? Ooh, I have a great answer for this. What, what is your favorite Willem Dafoe movie? My gut wants to say uh, Boondock Saints. Ooh, interesting. That is very interesting. Okay. Uh, why? Uh, I just think he plays a great character. Honestly, the first thing that pops to my head when I think of Willem Dafoe is him calling his his uh, his gay lover a fucking uh, uh, a slur. Yeah, homophobic uh, slur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like just like a, a like like it's the first thing that popped into my head. Um, I don't know. I also like him as uh, as the the Green Goblin. Uh, I don't. I also like him in John Wick, but like. Boondock Saints is just the, the the most iconic role. To okay, me. this is a really deep recommendation, and um, and I want to I, w- I want to make this recommendation here now for everybody on uh, listening to the podcast. So I'm going to talk about this movie. I'm going to talk about its spoilers because like that's part of it. But I highly recommend you go find the movie. I think from 2011 called The Hunter. Um, yeah, it's a 2011 movie. Uh, starring Willem Dafoe, that is, it's like a, it's like an independent movie, and the basic premise is Willem Dafoe is a very very accomplished hunter, um, and he gets sent by uh, a mysterious biotech company to the wilderness of Tasmania because they have some information that like the last Tasmanian tiger, like the Tasmanian tiger, isn't extinct, and he's supposed to go find it. So I really really want people to go see that movie it is a fantastic movie it might even be my favorite movie of 2011 to be honest like i watched it just like on i think it was on like netflix or whatever and i just like you know i watched it on a whim and it was just like so so good and impactful and like meaningful to me for some reason came out of fucking nowhere um Oh boy! Oh, I forgot he was in the Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh yeah, he wasn't only for that little bit. I guess it's kind of a it's kind oh, well. He was of, the villain. Yeah, or he was he was guy, like yeah. the strong man. Yeah. Uh, I guess I like, I, you I know really maybe I won't spoil movie. this movie. I go watch the Hunter. It's great, including you, Mango. It's amazing. Okay. That's the best will. Willem Dafoe movie. Uh, deep cut, deep cut, but good, great question. Oh. He was also Ryuk in Death Note. I forgot. Oh about that. yeah, I did forget about that. Man, he was actually honestly great uh, as Ryuk. Yeah, he was probably like that movie was flawed but decent. But he was probably the best part yeah, of it. Yep, that is a great way to put it. Flawed but decent. Uh, who would you guys rather have as your best buddy slash pal? Keanu, The Rock, Vin Diesel, Chris Pratt, Paul Rudd, or Seth Rogen? Uh, this is easy for me. It's Paul Rudd. Really? Of Paul Rudd. I feel like I would yeah. want to. I feel like I would want to. Uh, the the rock I, he's just like so positive and he's just like an awesome nice guy uh, I probably would have put yeah no you're sure I probably would have put Chris Pratt if uh, he wasn't like a weird like Jesus freak now um, and uh, God but, but Keanu is also awesome God Vin Diesel is also pretty awesome even just Seth Rogen would just be like super fun to hang around with I feel like the rock would be like the most positive though like the rock would just be like you're do you're great. You're doing great. Yeah, I, I'm going by like their their uh, their perceived personalities, not by like I don't know anything behind the scenes about any of them. Um, 
Fair enough. Yeah. Although Paul Rudd is also, a, I hear that he is a great guy off camera. The only person who is like quote unquote troublesome off camera is Chris Pratt because of that like event. He's like he's part of like a like an evangelical church in like Los Angeles or whatever that are like bad or something. I don't know. I mean, so I I, I don't think that they're particularly bad. I just think they have like the standard Christian views on like abortion. Oh so. yeah, yeah, and like I think it's something about gay people too. Whatever. You're, yeah. Um, uh, we do not endorse that view. We definitely do not endorse this view. Okay, so the very last question is Zhao's question to rank the Marvel movies, but I almost sort of think that that's a podcast in and of itself. Uh, yeah, you know what? I think that's a good idea for a podcast. We think we should do that at some point. Okay. Um, maybe not next week, but Zhao, at some point in the future, do you want to commit to before the end of 2019? Absolutely. Yeah, before the end of 2019, we'll do an episode stack ranking the current Marvel movies. Um. And uh, we will dedicate it to you lovingly. Um, maybe we can even have you on it if you want to. Yeah, well, because so. I, I want to do a big rewatch, I think. I honestly think I would want to go all the way through, end to end, to do a real, you know, like 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 appraisal, if that makes sense. And that's probably, like, that'll be like a small project over the next couple of months to start watching those movies through. All right. Well, we managed to beat out our time from last year, which is like five or two years ago, which is five hours. We're only at four hours now. So um, I think it's been a good AMA podcast. Me too. Um, Thanks uh, to all of you for writing in your questions. Uh, You're always free to write in questions um, if you want them answered. But uh, we like to do this every every hundred episodes, so approximately every two years. Um, you can email us what you thought about anything we talked about at simdurfsplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at simdurfsplaygames.com. Uh, you can follow us at twitch.tv slash simdurfsplaygames. Um, I think that's everything I had, but did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? I have about? nothing else I'm looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.